0: To... Wait, what are you doing up on your roof? Shh, Derek, you gotta be
1: quiet, man. I'm up on the roof. They chased us up here. You gotta be quiet. You gotta be quiet. They're, they're coming for us, man. They're coming for us. What? What's coming for us? Shh, just be quiet. They're coming for us, man. Just gotta be. Oh god! Turn it off.
2: Uh hey y'all, We're ready here for the uh recording? Really excited Wait, about that? this. What's an earthquake? Oh my oh, god! Ah! Ah! Ah!
0: Ah! 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 Welcome everyone to Watch (laughs) If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, Derek Smith, the coward, and my movie monster boy co-host, Aaron Mansfield, in which we discuss these horror movies throughout the ages and talk about the fears and phobias associated with them, the social impacts, and just how scary they are for you other fellow cowards like myself. This week, we've got a pretty good episode on our hands. We're going back to the fun and the weird, and we are joined with... With a special guest who has yet to be on the show and is someone I've known and been best friends with since pre-K. Literally, yes, <laughs> since pre-K. Sean Mars, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, excited about the pod. Obviously, been listening for a while now. Excited to, to jump in on these movies.
1: Awesome. I feel like we should have like a guitar twang underneath, you know, and yeah, this is our guest, Sean Mars. <laughs> that will make more sense once you uh know what we're gonna be talking about tonight <laughs>
0: <laughs> and aaron how are you doing buddy
1: uh you know another another
0: day uh we're we're making it it's it's gonna be fun yeah world's totally okay and not on fire it seems like every day but that's a story and a topic for another time
2: <laughs> my favorite horror movie real life
0: yeah we're here to talk about fun shit <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> with that sean mars since it is your first time on our show give us a little little bit of background with that you've had with horror do you like horror movies do you like horror in general movie watching yeah. all that I know you our history me and you our history is very tied together there so uh, just to explain it to our listeners
2: absolutely so again sean mars here i am been friends with derek since we were wee
0: wee children uh, we we met each other in your mom's pre-k class <laughs> that's fucking crazy <laughs> little babes
2: 100 percent. actual tiny tiny children uh, and have been friends ever since uh and we've grown up our tastes have grown up similarly and in a similar way in which you were uh the coward on this program i too find myself a bit of a coward when it comes to Horror movies, but monster movies, especially, has kind of been the one piece that has bled over into the things that I do love supernatural stuff, big rubber masks, the kind of fun, kitschy horror that's based on practical effects that has always been a little bit more my jam. Uh, And and that stems, I think, from the VHS rental
0: scene uh, that I've
2: always been uh, a part of, either at our Blockbuster back in New Orleans.
0: Yeah, we would go to Blockbuster like, Every other day, it seemed like, during the summer.
2: During our very important years, like middle years of our childhood and adolescence, we had some sort of deal where Blockbuster would just give you an unlimited amount of rentals. You just could only have one out at a time. And Derek and I found a way where we would go in multiple times a day sometimes. We'd just be like, rent another movie, rent another movie.
0: Yeah, it was like 50 bucks for three months. It was great. It was incredible.
1: Yeah, that's killer, especially for blockbuster prices. That's steel. It steal. It was insane.
2: Uh, and then actually, uh, while I did grow up with uh, Derek in New Orleans, I then spent a lot of my formative years as well in Lagos, Nigeria and there was a tiny little VHS rental place that was run by the marines <laughs> there in and they had you know they had their very specific tastes and one of those tastes was an entire horror section and an entire monster section and it hell was yeah. like obviously the most used VHSs were all there uh they had the full Godzilla selection uh, and, and it was hell yeah just incredible and all of them each on a different VHS those were formative for me uh, and then the different fiction that I would get into later, into like horror comics, uh, every now and then kind of bleeding in through some of the weird, fun comics of Vertigo 90s and things like that, where those kind of tropes would continue to pepper into my brain. But uh, yeah, I, I can't say that horror is something that I explicitly seek out in my day-to-day. I found that this resurgence of really interesting social commentary horror that's happened in the last decade or so has really maybe kind of grabbed me back into a, a place that I haven't really been looking into. Everything from Get Out to Hereditary and things like yeah. that. Things that want to try to make uh, an interesting point. But I uh, I also have a soft spot for the Jim Henson animatronic world of uh, Early nineties, late eighties, uh, monster movies. So, uh, yeah, that's hell yeah i
0: here. I remember, too, kind of throughout our years, and this was actually more recently. This was probably, like, towards the end of college, fresh out of college. You and Evan specifically uh, got me to watch a lot of Supernatural, the CW show, which, granted, I think all three of us really fell off that show around season seven or eight. Well, Evan, I think, might have continued on with it, but Bless his heart. Uh, you and I, like, really fell off of it, but the first five seasons are good, and the first two seasons, specifically, some of those episodes are legitimately scary good horror and we have that shared thing and then during that blockbuster era not only did it happen with movies it bled over into video games with you and i and um we did play a lot of horror video games on and off throughout the summers uh, i mean I, I remember probably the most ridiculous time we had with that was playing through resident evil 5 co-op because resident evil 5 is kind of a fucking mess as a, a game but it was still fun to play co-op together
2: and honestly it felt like an 80s action movie Movie come to life where you're like we're here
0: and like yeah. we've got this shotgun and we
2: need <laughs> yeah. this to get where we're going in
0: the world literally chris punches a boulder at one point yeah. straight up punches a boulder like you have to button mash it yeah <laughs> yeah resident evil 5 is fucking bonkers looney <laughs> and that is
2: my wreck now <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah but yeah and with that uh we will move on to horror recommendations be it other horror movies or video games or books tv whatever um and since you are a guest and it's your first time on do you actually have uh, some horror recommendations that us or our audience may uh check out 100%
3: yeah
2: funny that you mentioned supernatural because that's very much the vibe of my first rep which is the 6th gun uh which is a comic by Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt
0: Cullen Bunn comes up a lot we sing his praises a lot on this show
2: Cullen Bunn is great uh i was at 2 2011 San Diego Comic Con yeah. and there's this one St. Louis based booth and they were singing the praises of Cohen Bunn and the Sixth Gun which had just come out uh, at that time and it's really if Supernatural were set in the Old West. Okay. Which is kind of its own whole like genre out there in the world.
0: Yeah, like dark westerns or supernatural westerns, yeah. Yeah, yeah like a like Jonah Hex ish. East of West is like that too. Yeah. East
2: of West has kind of got that like future vibe. This is really like so- slam right into the old west there's like murderous ex-confederates and then you've got these traitors and then there's this whole supernatural element of it so you've got the thunderbird is out there and then you've got these voodoo queens in new orleans that are dealing doing something and it's it's a really great run i think there's about nine trades so it had a good long run it's also done. My favorite thing is to be recommended something that's already been completed, which is sometimes hard in the uh, TV show or or comic book world. So I I highly recommend Six-Gun. Uh, Brian Hertz art is also incredibly crisp, incredibly clean. He he has a really a fun, vibrant sense of horror, which is kind of fun because it, it's not just going for shadows; it's going for these interesting, colorful depictions of some chaotic stuff.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to add that to my must-read list because like like we were saying earlier, uh, between Aaron and I, we have probably in our recommendations alone have brought up Colin Bunn like seven different times. And I th- I
2: think the Sixth Gun was. His first big comic, I think it was. It was yeah. what really brought him onto the scene back in the mid aughts
0: And now he's reinventing Venom for Marvel and everything. Yeah, he's doing all kinds of shit now. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, this is still when he was with the Indie Prints. Uh, he was on Oni before he even got into the Marvel world.
0: God, Oni Press. I haven't I haven't read something from Oni in a while.
2: Which uh, I also have a second recommendation, which is a a novel by Edgar Cantero. Uh, this is a novel called
0: Meddling Kids. Um, Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You recommended this one to me a while back, yeah. I haven't read this one, but I I know all about it, but go ahead. So, The Meddling Kids is
2: a dark reimagining and like a little bit psychotropic reimagining of the Scooby-Doo's mystery gang. Hell yeah. <laughs> all about this idea is it's all the different people, the Fred, the Velma, the Daphne of the group, have all come back after many years because they used to solve mysteries as kids. And it's come out that one of the members of the, their original crew has committed suicide. It's brought them all back together for a kind of a, a remembrance. And this is not a spoiler of any sorts, but they realize that they may have gotten it wrong back in the day uh, on one of their cases. Yeah. And it, it's such an incredible hook. It's such an interesting look back of if this were real, what would it be? And then it takes it in this really interesting Lovecraftian bend, which is, I think, really awesome.
0: And, like, that's such a fun concept. I like... That's something, like, I thought when I originally heard about it was a comic series um, because there are other comic series that take that idea of, like, some childhood thing and, like, turn it on its head. Kind of like what Venture Brothers does to Johnny Quest. A hundred percent. 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like makes him like a fucking PTSD, like tweaked out insane guy as an adult. And
2: this does that without a lot of the humor that's in Venture Brothers. This yeah. has got, it's got a little bit of a wry sense of humor, but it's more of like a, just an interesting it's story. It's probably
0: darker. Yeah. And something bit. like this is like one of those things where, and I don't always think absolutely everything needs like a visual adaptation. Some books are fine being books. This is one where it sounds like ripe for either a TV series or a movie even yeah i think so cool cool well thanks for those recommendations aaron what have you got this week for us
1: so i got the scream factory blu-ray of 13 ghosts from fucking 2001
0: We are going to do that episode, by the way, on this podcast eventually.
1: That movie was kind of chuck-a-fuck-a-blast. Speaking of shaggy. Yeah, really. I was not expecting that movie to be as ridiculously fun as it was. It's dumb. Don't get me wrong. It's a fucking doofy-ass movie.
0: Sometimes dumb as great as we've seen on this show. Oh, yeah.
1: Totally. But, like, the production design of that movie is wild. With the giant glass walls with all the incantations written all over them and all the doors that, like, mechanically slide open. And the fucking design of the 13 ghosts and kind of the lore behind them. It's definitely one of those movies where I want to know more about the lore and the work. World of everything going on, and the movie definitely stops short at really kind of expanding on the larger ideas, and it's just full of like bad early two thousands attempts at humor. But it was definitely way more fun than I remember it being. All said and done, so it's a
0: movie that's too dumb to realize it actually has a great creative premise. Oh, totally. Like totally. It could have been like Cabin of the Woods way before Cabin in the Woods like was a movie. Yeah.
1: Well, the opening scene is. Fucking... You just mentioned Shaggy... Matthew Lillard. the Scooby-Doo movies. Matthew Lillard, yeah. Him in a junkyard and they're hunting down the juggernaut ghost, and he's, like, the final ghost they need for this whole thing. And they've got on these, like, glasses where they can see the fucking ghost trails and a giant, like, glass box trap for it. And F. Murray Abraham shows up with a cane just chewing the fucking scenery. It's ridiculous, but I had a blast with it. And again, that Screen Factory Blu-ray looks fantastic, too. I mean, that's a newer movie, but, you know, their Blu-ray job on it looked great.
0: I remember seeing the artwork for Screen Factory's art artwork on the cover of it and it was pretty awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Another Scream Factory thing. I rewatched Terror Vision. Um I got the two pack with Terror Vision and the video dead a while back. And uh Terror Vision is like if you just put Pee Wee's Playhouse and like 80s horror together. It's just the best ridiculous bullshit. But yeah, it's got Garrett Graham who plays Beef in Phantom of the Paradise as the dad and then Mary Warnov from Night of the Comet is in it as well as like the mom and they've got you know this one like military obsessed little boy and punk rock girl and the daughter's boyfriend that shows up who's like punk rock asshole guy is fucking john Grease, aka uncle rico from napoleon dynamite and it was weird seeing him in something so early like that
0: and we'll get back to a Napoleon Dynamite reference yes we will absolutely
1: but yeah that movie is bananas fun like the parents are swingers and they're sex obsessed and they have this giant like tricked out sex bedroom and there's like a giant alien monster that zaps into the house through the TV waves and eats people and (laughs) it's just fucking ridiculous I haven't seen that one in years but it was a fun revisit thing i want to bring up i finally fucking sat down and started watching ash versus evil dead and nice. I love Evil Dead 1 and 2, uh, I, I love Army of Darkness too, but Evil Dead is like one of my all-time favorites, period. Just the simple idea of creepy fucking cabin in the woods with demon book on the inside and things go bad, like it's great. The show is a perfect distillation of everything that's fun about that series. It is bananas, slapstick, literally Scooby-Doo sliding in blood on the floor and like sound effects and bonks on the head, but then... Chainsaw is literally ripping people in half in blood, flying everywhere, more blood than like 80 human bodies can contain. Just fire hose blasting.
0: Is Sam Raimi like attached to it? Yeah, yeah. He produced yeah. the whole
1: thing. I think he wrote most of it. Um, he directed the pilot episode. Bruce Campbell is fucking amazing, even in you know, his older age, which that is definitely played up in this show that he's older. Literally the first episode, he's like greasing his hair back and putting on a girdle to like hold his gut in. But the makeup and the gore and all that stuff is bananas. He's got these two, like, 20-something sidekicks named Pablo and Kelly in the show that are both great. Ray Santiago and Dana DeLorenzo as those characters. And then Lucy Lawless, fucking Xena, warrior princess, right, is also kind of sort of the main antagonist in the show. Fuck yeah. Awesome. (laughs) And she's married to Rob Tappert, which is... Raimi's like long time producing partner they kind of came up together growing up and like doing Evil Dead and everything they've known each other forever but Raimi and Tappert were involved in doing Xena down in New Zealand and in Australia and everything so like that's where all the connection is with Lucy Lawless and they filmed most of this I believe in New Zealand so just kind of an easy way to like have everybody together right there but there's tons of great cameos in the show Uh, Samara Weaving pops up in it Mimi Rogers, Ted Raimi has a recurring character in it. Ash's dad is introduced and it's fucking Lee Majors the six million dollar man also like Michigan boy right so like there's just bananas shit in this show and there's lots of like Raimi in joke things like the bar they go to is called Shimps and the 1973 like Oldsmobile Delta 88 that's in fucking all of Sam Raimi's movies just that car features so big in the show because it's kind of this like cross country going from place to place tracking the book you know for a little while but there is a whole plot line where the car gets possessed and the car is like full fucking ghost rider badass red lights and fire <laughs> coming out of it maximum
2: overdrive
1: oh yeah it, it'll like pull up beside people the doors open and like seatbelts just like what wrap somebody up and you rip them inside the car and you see like blood splatter everywhere (laughs) and it like spit guts out of the tailpipe and fire and you know blast off. It's fucking bananas. I really really have enjoyed it so far and I'm only like five episodes away from finishing it. It does do a lot of the like crazy time travel bullshit that the movies do. Like there's one bit where they kind of figure like oh so we can stop whatever let's just go back to the 80s when the original movie happened. So they're like at the cabin Right before the original movie happens, and you kind of see some stuff like get set up or whatever, and of course then that like changes the future. But yeah, it's great. The stunt work in it's hilarious because it's just people on wires getting flung in all directions. And, and it,
0: it's canon with the movies, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> um, it
1: is completely canon with the movies, and it's all of the like goofy trick photography bullshit that I love from Sam Raimi's movies, just like during fight scenes you'll just get a close-up on somebody's fist, static, like, flying against the background, and then it, like, you know, punches somebody in the face completely sideways in, like, the goofiest fake way, and Ash literally jumping across the room on wires, and somebody throws the chainsaw perfectly, and he catches it in air with his, you know, hand, and it locks in and just... Rawr, 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 and some kind of snappy one-liner, and then he saw somebody in half. It sounds like in tone that it's closer to End of Evil
2: Dead to Army of yes. Darkness. yeah
1: yeah which is great it is definitely comedy like all the way through and I like Ash being kind of this very non-self-aware okay boomer asshole yeah (laughs) and then having his two 20-something sidekicks constantly just rolling their eyes at him that whole dynamic is a lot of fun and those characters are great
0: who would have thought Ash loved minions suddenly yeah
1: (laughs) his Facebook page is full actually Ash wouldn't know what Facebook is that's like the kind of shit that the show jokes about yeah. but yeah season three that i just started they like introduce kind of a long lost daughter that he has and it's kind of one of these like oh yeah i do remember your mom we were married for like an hour and a half that one time great times you know It's just like that kind of bullshit like, well i guess you're my daughter now <laughs> there's a scene in season two where he has to go to a morgue to get the necronomicon somebody hid it in a dead body because the demons chasing it would not detect the book if it's in dead flesh and so there's this scene with him in a morgue and he's cutting open all these bodies to try to figure out which one has the book in it and eventually the guts of one corpse spill out onto the floor, turn into like tentacle snakes and are wrapping him up and slinging him around the room and eventually pull him like into the corpse and through its asshole (laughs) and then eventually he's his like head goes through the asshole of this open corpse and he's got this dummy with its like legs dangling over his shoulders and the whole torso of it on top of his head flailing around and he's just slipping in blood and screaming and yelling and slinging the chainsaw around. I mean, it's the most Three Stooges bullshit, but it is fantastic. So, I would definitely recommend it. It was on stars. It was three seasons. I know that it got canceled. So, I know already that it kind of ends a little bit open-ended, but there's still kind of these rumblings that they're like working on a new movie right now that ties into all of it so like who the fuck knows
0: i honestly wouldn't be surprised because i know ash has been put into video games recently like i know he was in the dead by daylight multiplayer yeah horror game like they put him in that and bruce campbell
1: like did the voice for him too
0: bruce campbell did the voice and there's now a lot of rumblings that he is going to be added as a dlc character to mortal kombat which i mean robocop (laughs) is already (laughs) added so like that would be right in line with that and again bruce campbell would be voicing him is the rumor and so it seems seems like both bruce campbell and sam Raimi, from what i've heard and seen are so on board with still continuing the series that i would be shocked if they didn't have a follow-up to this
1: yeah and i think honestly like the show lost viewership and then it got canceled i think so much the problem was it was just on fucking stars yeah and like who has stars
2: i don't even understand how you can get stars like if someone tried to get stars <laughs> I'd, like, I'd be like i don't know who i call is it like yeah I don't
1: know. like never in my adult life since i moved out of my parents house which is half my fucking life at this point have I ever had cable ever yeah. I, I don't intend on ever having cable so like stars yeah whatever no but that's the thing And I mentioned this with Hannibal a couple of weeks ago these shows are all getting more viewership on streaming, streaming platforms yeah. they've been shifted to after the fact than they did when they were on these channels so like I don't get why they're not just made available to stream
0: easier to begin with you know I well, don't know and that's exactly what I was just about to say is from what I've heard like more recently recently like within the last year it's getting a lot more viewership and people kind of getting excited about it because of it being more and more available um through streaming and all of that
1: yeah and frankly you can pick it up cheap like if you just want to have it digitally um i think you can get like the whole series on itunes for like 20 bucks so yeah it's it's cheap to buy and then it's on netflix now i believe too but yeah definitely worth checking out so that's it
0: i'll move on and let you take over derek So I probably got the most uh, out of all of us. So first off, I wanted, because this is a recommendation and a thank you and a shout out all in one. The Wizard and the Bruiser podcast that is on the last podcast network. It's Holden McNeely and Jake Young host it. It is like a nerd pop culture podcast. They are just nerd culture in general from video games to movies. I mean, they even had an episode on the gorillas. Just anything like pop culture related. They
1: just had one on energy drinks, right? recently yeah like
0: it's it's that granular and weird sometimes and it was a great episode yeah love that episode in fact honestly one of my favorite episodes of theirs and it's a really early one is Mountain Dew and Doritos in which they go through the history of Mountain Dew and Doritos and how that became like associated with quote-unquote gamers yeah so they kind of do that shit well I'd supported them on Patreon years ago like when they really first started and I did the highest tier where you could recommend an episode they had asked me early on what would you like it on so I said Twin Peaks they said awesome and they even asked for if I had a shout out. And at that time, Aaron and I were just starting this podcast and we were even under a completely different name. So I gave him our original name. Well, like Aaron and I had to redo some things when we first launched. I messaged Holden apologizing and I think I like rewrote my shout out three times and he was totally cool about it, like really patient me, awesome. Well, it turned out two years ago or so, I was trying to spend less money becoming unemployed that I kind of canceled a lot of my Patreon on memberships unfortunately but I did message him and like let him know like this is what's happening and and I apologize I'd love to support y'all I'll still support y'all in terms of like subscribing and all that and he said hey no problem if we we do ever do the Twin Peaks episode like we're planning on we still plan on doing that I'll let you know I was like yeah cool he messages me out of the blue a couple months ago and says hey so we're finally like recording your Twin Peaks episode you know just wanted to give you a heads up so you can hear your shout out on there I'm like wait wait a minute y'all are shouting me out and he's just like yeah yeah you know you forwarded some I was like fuck awesome thanks man and then sure enough like the last two weeks they actually have done a two-parter on Twin Peaks also
1: with their woo woo redhead
0: friend as well yeah so yeah yeah. (laughs) follow the same pattern as us yeah Natalie Jean is is the guest on those episodes and they do a great job of course because I mean it's fucking last podcast network podcast and Jake and Holden are fucking professionals compared to you and I they do a great job going through we didn't necessarily spend much time or even touch on like even like a lot of mark frost's background and they spend a lot of time on mark frost which i appreciated and they just do a good job of really even going through like david lynch's childhood and how that would affect his work early uh, uh, later on in his life they just do a great job of summing up the entire franchise so if you enjoyed our our three-parter on twin peaks you absolutely should go check out their two-parter on twin peaks i think the second part just dropped like this earlier this week
1: yeah and they're focused on on like the whole franchise where we were just kind of covering the movie so yeah it's a better
0: beginning to end look at it but really like that podcast is one of the best ones that I listen to like Anyone who is a fan of podcasts and looking for that next thing to read, watch, play, whatever, I highly, highly, highly recommend Wizard and Bruiser. I think all three of us actually listen to Wizard and the Bruiser. Yeah. Incredible show. Only caveat I would say to that is
1: their whole network is now a Spotify exclusive network. So if you do want to seek them out, download the Spotify app and check it out for free. You'll have the little ads here and there, but big deal.
0: Yeah, and so once again, thank you, Holden, for continuing to reach out to me, and thank you, Jake. Thank you, Natalie, for doing such a great job as a guest on Twin Peaks, a a topic that both Aaron and I have a lot of love for. So thank you, thank you, guys. You did not have to do that for our show, but you did, and it was awesome. Yeah, thank y'all so much. So, all that great stuff out of the way, I'm about to piss off Aaron with my next recommendation. So... (laughs) going back to Dan Bell on YouTube, and Dan Bell has a great little series called Another Dirty Room. What
1: city are they in now? Just keep going. This episode
0: dropped at the end of July this year. It's Another Dirty Room Charleston, West Virginia at the Sunset Motel. Bet this one's a winner, says the guy living in Mississippi. (laughs) Oh oh boy. So this place, the thing that really made this one disturbing so all right, for our listeners who for whatever reason you're coming in on this episode, Another Dirty Room is a YouTube series where a bunch of guys purposely find like those really really run down shitty motels like off the side of the highway that you always pass by and wonder like who the fuck would actually pay for a room well that's what they do and then they take their cameras in there and do a full on investigation of just how dirty the room is um, and they find everything from bed bugs to roach infestations to piss everywhere drugs hidden in like the roof and, and behind the toilet and all that kind of stuff so um, with this one it wasn't completely outright disgusting until they really started their investigation and oh boy I have not seen that much black mold in a fucking room on this series since this episode like this is one of their like most cringeworthy ones and really one of those ones that makes you think why doesn't the government or somebody do something about these fucking (laughs) motels because they are like biological hazards
1: that's truly the horror of this whole idea is not that you're going to stay in this weird off the beaten path hotel and be killed by some like masked slasher it's more just that you're gonna have fucking scabies and diarrhea when you leave that's the real life trauma
0: Bed yeah. bug bites all over your legs and inhaling yeah. black mold and yeah and that's why i always bring the another dirty room up on our recommendations because a i know aaron really appreciates it and b it's real life horror that's probably worse than any horror you're gonna see on anything we ever cover
2: it's absolutely terrible because i constantly will choose the cheap ass most hotel when I'm on like a long drive and I'm like yeah I'm fine I'm gonna be totally fine and I have avoided every single one of your recommendations Derek on Dan Bell because I will not ruin it for myself I will believe that all those <laughs> places are fine until I die of scabies
0: dude it's not even the cheap hotels it's every hotel just thinking about any hotel just kind of makes me squirm a little now but I'm just addicted to this show I love it <laughs> I can't wait I, I just I look forward to every new episode they put out it's great and for my final recommendation, and I know I brought this up before and I'm going to continue bringing it up again because it's still so fucking good, is The Ice Cream Man. Um, Image yeah. Comics, it's written by W. Maxwell Prince and art is done by Chris O. Halloran and Martin Morazo. If you aren't familiar with this, if you didn't catch our earlier episodes where I brought up Ice Cream Man before, it's basically like a bunch of one shots that are all like tales of sorrow and even redemption, but it's all surrounded in darkness, and there's always in the periphery of all these stories, whether it's directly related to him or he's just on the outskirts of the story, is the ice cream man who is basically almost a Pennywise. Um, he's like this extra dimensional, demon like character who is obviously kind of influencing a lot of this stuff in these stories, but he is under the guise of an ice cream man out of the 1950s like wears the black bow tie, all white, wears the cap, like kind of looks like a milkman, even. And the reason why I'm bringing this series back up again again as I recently read issue 19 and issue 20 um, which were both once again standalone stories and issue 19 he's a lot more on the periphery a lot more on the outskirts and this one is very much a great argument for like tragedy and the horrors of real life make up the best horror media because it's called haunting for beginners and it's about this little boy who thinks he's a ghost growing up and like sneaks out one night like literally puts a sheet on himself thinking He's a ghost, sneaks around the town, and a really fucked up tragedy happens in front of him, and then it follows him through his entire life, dealing with depression and like the trauma from witness thing, this thing as a boy, and how he overcomes this, and like you can tell that the temptations of the ice cream man are there in the background, trying to like drag this guy into despair and maybe even suicide, and like how he overcomes it, and then issue number twenty flips that, and it's a lot more directly the ice cream man fucking with the family acting like the husband and the father reading the kids bedtime stories and he's obviously like made them hallucinate him as their real father he's reading all these classic children books but making them really fucking messed up and twisted like the giving tree and like <laughs> okay. it turning into like about an arson and like dr seuss turning it into someone who is dealing cocaine laced weed you have the mother who is hallucinating her real husband and she's remembering her real husband or. Her- her real husband was killed by the ice cream man who's this acting like her new husband now again like this whole series is like that kind of weird esoteric series of one shots that are all loosely based around this ice cream man entity that has entered our world and is just like terrorizing people with these stories of despair and darkness and sometimes they overcome him and sometimes they don't and sometimes he's directly like in their face changing things and dictating their life and sometimes he's just out in the periphery so yeah ice cream man is like one of my favorite ongoing horror comics right now Maxwell Prince does a such a goddamn good job writing this and that's all I have for recommendations
1: hell yeah well before we go any further let's take a quick pause to hear about some awesome deals from our friends at Nightmare Threads What's up, fellow spoopy people? Are you shopping for horror movie merch
0: to match the fear in your heart? Do you want to show your love and fandom for horror, or are you just looking for the perfect gift for that special mutant in your life? If so,
1: check out Nightmare Threads, your one-stop shop for all things horror made for fans by fans.
0: Nightmarethreads.com offers clothing, apparel, and merch for numerous horror movies, TV shows, and other macabre pop culture.
1: Nightmare Threads also has original Content, articles, news, and more. So you can support us by supporting them. Check out our shows' Twitter and Facebook pages for our unique referral link, or use coupon code "Watch If You Dare" all one word, no spaces at checkout to save ten percent.
0: So just go to nightmarethreads.com and again use our referral link or the code "Watch If You Dare" to save ten percent. Watch horror, love horror, support horror, shop
2: Sally.
0: All right, boys, y'all ready for one of the better creature feature horror movies from like the last 30 years? Hell yeah. We're doing fucking 1990s tremors.
2: Hell yes. Perfection, a scorched
1: outpost in the middle of nowhere.
2: You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How
3: close?
1: Maybe that's why Val and Earl oh, decided
2: to leave town. Oh,
3: whoa, 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 whoa. hey.
2: Hold up. That's Edgar Deans. They just picked the wrong day to do it.
3: Jeez. You guys better get the hell out of here. There's a killer on the loose. <laughs> Who could
1: be doing it? Is that a snake?
2: I'll give you, boy, $5 for this. 20. That's how
3: they get you. They're under the ground
1: the hell are those things After they eat a whole station wagon
3: but where do they come from i vote for outer space no way these are local boys
1: you see they're headed right for us.
2: no richter scale can measure it they're coming
3: no scientist can explain it
1: Bert, they're under the ground
0: you didn't get penetration even with the alpha gun run run
1: and no one knows what to call it mega worms or suckers or or suckoids. Now, this valley is just one long smorgasbord. Now,
0: it's up to Val and Earl to save the world. That's one big mother
1: Who died and
0: made you, Einstein? And they know just what to do. Flip for it. Damn. Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward.
1: Tremors. Yeah, so I definitely think it's safe to say that this movie really fucking held up for all three of us, right? (laughs) This movie rips ass.
0: I'm not the only one who forgot that Tremor's kind of fucking rules, y'all. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Sean Mars, I know you like always loved this movie growing up as a kid and I just randomly remembered that you loved this movie and we like worked out you coming on our episode because I randomly remembered you'd like this movie. This is the first movie that we've done on this podcast that I watched with my wife. I told Savannah like, oh, we're gonna do Tremors next and she's like, I don't think it's a horror movie like, but hey, like, let's watch it together and we had a grand old time. I had a big fucking smile on my face the whole way through this movie, but I set out to ask the question of is this a horror movie and I do think it is and what about it makes it a horror movie and uh, that's what I went into it like on this watch and we'll get into more and more as to why I think it is a horror movie. It's a creature feature it's creatures that are like out of this world not alien but you know like something that is just almost incomprehensible at first and terrorizing a small town like it has all the elements of horror Granted the Graboids are like not real but it's
1: the same like nature gets revenge kind of plot line that you have in Jaws in Grizzly in The Prophecy in Orca in Alligator in all these other movies like it is specifically a subgenre of horror it is absolutely a horror movie I
0: might, I might get crucified for this I was actually making a lot of comparisons between this and Jaws and this being a more light-hearted Jaws that's desert and ground instead of ocean and water well absolutely
1: I mean just knowing that ss wilson and brent maddock are the two writers and they wrote short circuit and batteries not included and like those two scripts kind of put them on the map and you know they did tremors and then they would go on to do wild wild west and then they just kind of fell off after that right what a run
0: yeah tremors into wild surely they
1: made incredible movies but they apparently got the idea when they were filming safety training videos for the navy and they were like out standing on a rock like a giant boulder and just kind of joking about like what if there was like something in the ground and we were like stuck up here and you know like a land shark or something like that so the movie is definitely born from the template Jaws Forged. Entirely I mean that's where so many of these kinds of movies are birthed out of anyway is just kind of chasing that same magic that Jaws had and this is certainly one of the better examples of trying to still replicate that
0: magic but being smart enough to know like it can't be serious too yes correct.
2: I also think that it goes for that Jaws magic. It also harkens back to even something more primitive than Jaws, which is you're standing as a child on your couch and you're playing that the floor is lava, yeah, right? You wrote totally. my mind. It, yeah. it is that feeling. And uh, I know uh, with the recent Netflix show, it had me 100% looking at this small town of perfection and thinking, how can they get from thing to thing without touching the ground? Uh, which is so much
0: fun. I remember catching Tremors because I know that Tremors 3 was kind of coming out right around middle school I want to say like 6th or 7th grade and I think like the next summer Sci-Fi had gotten like the rights to it or something Yeah. and so they were doing a Tremors marathon where they showed Tremors 1 and 2 and then they aired for the first time on cable Tremors 3 that's when I first watched Tremors and I actually watched Tremors and then Tremors 2 and then Tremors 3 all at the same time and even as a kid Kid, i could tell that the original tremors was something special i mean i still enjoyed tremors two and three at the time as a kid but i could tell that tremors one was actually a good movie and the other two were kind of fun but like not great more on that later because
1: i did the masochistic thing and i watched all of the sequels oh, insane oh, bless. So absolutely we'll, insane. we'll discuss that at the end of uh running through the movie and th-
2: this is also a series that i was kind of introduced through the excess of sequels right these are the same sort of things with like the dream warriors of the the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie that I watched I think that either two or three was the first Tremors movie that I watched Sure, and I eventually went back and watched the other Tremors and it was something where this is a clearly superior movie But at the time, as an 8th grader, I don't think that I really could appreciate how much better this movie was than the other movies. I think that I definitely grabbed onto it and grasped onto the mechanicalness of the special effects. All of the fun, quirky characters, and I love this movie. This movie could be recommended to anyone. Be like, have you seen Tremors? You should see Tremors.
3: Yeah,
1: Yeah. 100%. This is one that was a staple on our family TV the entire time we were growing up yeah these movies were in heavy heavy rotation on usa tbs TNT and Sci-Fi Channel. There were like four fucking networks that you could pretty much at any given time during the week flip through, and you'll find Tremors on. So we would watch the fuck out of these, and just no matter where the movies were, like we'd pick up and start watching. And the sequels definitely. Let me let me clarify. At least two and three were sequels that we would watch pretty consistently. um The later ones, you know, I was new to watching just now, but we watched the hell out of those. The one
0: where they go the wild west oh just just wait just wait questions about arctic graboids i just have so many questions (laughs) where i fell off on like the series was i did attempt to watch the tremors tv show when it first showed up on sci-fi and oh boy that wasn't the best that's the one thing i didn't dip my (laughs) toe into i only got as far as three in actual movies but i stopped right at the tv show yeah but
1: yeah this this movie definitely like has that phenomenon where it did okay when it came out you know ultimately they had a 16 or they had a 10 million dollar budget it only made 16 right? which was much lower than the studio projections but the director and the writers kind of all blamed the underperformance on poor marketing and a delayed release which having heard the trailer the trailer's bad and the trailer definitely gives away everything the trailer shows you the monster the trailer shows you every shade and version of this monster it doesn't leave any thing to the imagination there's no t it just literally shows you the movie play out they also were kind of concerned with the r rating and the crazy thing is this is like one of the rare examples of the r rating just being based on language so they redubbed the movie there are literally 20 instances of the f word that they had to like dub over to get a pg-13 rating <laughs> it's
0: pretty noticeable too
1: <laughs> and oh it's definitely noticeable i've also
2: heard that they cut out some of the like more guts that they put in certain places so like when the uh
1: a construction scene i've
2: heard like some of that blood was removed in the in the in the
1: move too. that's a possibility yeah they toned down some of that but that's honestly what i was shocked about was i haven't seen this movie in years and really i've only ever watched it on tv because it was just on constantly like there was no reason to rent it you know this movie was a huge vhs rental store movie yeah they made triple the gross from the theatrical release in just home video rentals and cable and shit it was massive in that sense but we never rented tremors i don't believe because it was just on tv constantly so honestly watching it in full this time for this episode i was expecting there to be a lot more language i was expecting there to be a lot more gore i was honestly expecting like just some very casual offhanded nudity in some places like i was expecting one of them to like just pick up a playboy and thumb through it or something you know just anything like that that would give it a like hard r kind of edge and there's not. And I looked and sure enough, this movie's fucking PG-13. So I was kind of surprised by that, you know, that they didn't really cut a whole lot for the TV release. Even some of the very obvious dubbing, I thought it was just for TV. No, that's just the movie. So that that's one thing, like going into this, having not seen it in a few years, I was pretty Pretty surprised by all said and done, but yeah, ultimately, like Universal, they seemed kind of hell bent on marketing the movie as a monster movie, um, which is fine. They just kind of went about it the wrong way by completely fucking revealing the monster and everything in the yeah. trailer poster. And when you have like an original monster like this, not just again grizzly, orca, alligator, like those kind of things, you're like, okay, you know what these animals look like. Like this is a monster. This is a brand new thing hide it. Fucking hide it. It's the same lesson from jaws. It's that less is more. Don't show it as
0: much, you know, imply it. The movie does such a good job of building yes. up the graboid. Yeah. They could have easily marketed this as a mystery.
2: And what it does a really good job of is the first time you start to see the monster, you're still just seeing its tongue, right? You're still seeing yeah. its yeah. tongues the entire time and these little like appendages and you're like, "Oh shoot, this is the monster. The monster is this crazy snake thing." Yeah.
1: That full big reveal where like the entire thing finally crashes out of the ground you realize oh
0: shit this is what we're looking at it's yeah. such a good moment in the movie yeah it's sad that that was ruined please don't attack our podcast and rate us low but this is kind of a hot take I think Tremors should be a classic movie.
1: I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think all three of us are literally like oh, 100%. gonna make that case in this episode and I feel like as time goes on more and more people are coming around to that. Put
0: that shit in canon now. And, and I'm not even meaning as like oh haha, it's like one of the best horror creature features ever. No I mean like one of the best movie movies because I've even gone back recently and watched like classic stuff from the 90s and late 80s like Jurassic Park and stuff. I think Tremors is a better movie than even Jurassic Park. Yolo! Like- okay
1: yeah, that's where I'll I mean, back up a little I mean, bit. Jump
2: off that cliff by yourself, but yeah, I would say that Tremors is in the same realm of that movie because it has such easily identifiable characters. It is fun. It is constantly pushing you into the next fun situation. Yeah. It is adding to the tension. It is yeah. swerving you into comedy. It's swerving you back into tension. It's great.
1: And it moves. I was very surprised like how quick the movie just like moves from thing to thing to thing. Yeah. and it's tight it's fast it's the same length as literally all the sequels but there is so much fucking flab in all the sequels where you could probably trim every single one of them down to a tight like 64 minutes <laughs> and they would be fine right but this movie like every line of dialogue is purposeful every weird little detail that they point out is purposeful and it will come back around later just things like the cola machine and the pogo stick and stuff like that like it all ties back in as the movie goes on so it's just a very well written and tightly executed movie that really 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 does do the formula perfectly
0: so to back up for a second just so like i'm not completely dragged out and beaten in the streets by like movie <laughs> <laughs> like, oh god! i know i understand that i am one out of every thousand movie watcher critics whatever that thinks that this is a better movie than jurassic park and i know that historically Historically wise, yeah, Jurassic Park is the better movie. I will give that Jurassic Park. It's impossible not to. Oh my god, what's the actress's name? You're digging a hole, bro. What's the (laughs) the actress's name in Jurassic Park? Laura Dern. Laura Dern is like one of the best characters ever in a movie. Like, and I like her more than Finn Carter and Tremors. Although I really fucking enjoyed Finn Carter's performance in this movie. But I kind of like Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward more than the other two. And I like the other two. And I love Sam Neill. I mean, we talked about that in Revent Horizon. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to like sit here and say like you're wrong because you think Jurassic Park is better and like Tremors is underrated. But for my own personal taste, I really do think Tremors deserves a lot more credit in cinema history than it gets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think like all three of us are like definitely going to make that case. The other thing I will say in this movie's defense is like being a classic as well. It's the first movie of director Ron Underwood. He had been doing National Geographic documentaries up to this point and he was buds with the two writers and so they pitched the idea of tremors specifically with the idea that this would be his debut feature and ron underwood has not done really much in the movie realm all said and done like he did city slickers that's what i was about to say his only other classic is city slickers but from there you kind of just have one or two little things and like the adventures of pluto nash which is a notoriously huge
0: garbage bomb i do remember liking mighty joe young a bit yeah that one's was fine kid, yeah. but i haven't seen it since i was a kid
1: but he is one of these guys that has really, really, really dug in around TV. And if you look at his credits, like, he's been on fucking every TV series in the past 30 years, basically. So, you know, for this being a, like, debut feature, pretty impressive.
2: It's an incredible Pretty impressive.
1: Movie. And... With his background at Nat Geo as well, he brought kind of a very specific idea of like, how can we make a creature that is going to be realistic enough that you would buy it? But also like, you know, really cool and fantastic and dynamic for this movie. So it was kind of this weird, perfect synthesis of these guys getting together to form this idea all said and done.
0: Well, and you could even make the argument too that this is a cryptid movie because I know that sandworms are in the cryptid world (laughs) okay yeah the idea of sandworms I don't know how recent that is as a cryptid but um, I do know that there are myth people who like hunt cryptids around the world trying to document the presence of sandworms of some kind (laughs) okay
1: yeah weirdly enough this
0: movie was not shot in nevada this movie was shot
1: in california near Olancha, california which is kind of at the foot of the sierra nevada so those mountains that you see off in the distance all the time that's actually the sierra nevada mountains The town was built from scratch. There's no real town there. That was all built from scratch. A town
0: of 12 that somehow manages to still exist, yeah.
1: Yeah, really. The creature effects... The Graboids. That was all handled by Stan Winston's proteges, Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis, at their company Amalgamated Dynamics Inc. ADI. They were responsible for doing the stuff for Alien 3. They actually won an Oscar for Death Becomes Her. They did Wolf. Mortal Kombat, Jumanji, Mars Attacks, Alien Resurrection. Oh, so like
0: my childhood in the 90s. Basically, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're incredible. They were nominated for an Oscar again for Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. They
1: did Raimi's whole Spider Man trilogy, the Alien vs. Predator movies, and then, of course, they did Tremors 2 and 3. Now, they're one of these companies that got their whole shit messed up because they did all the original effects for the Thing prequel remake reboot whatever we want to call it from 2011 they did all the practical effects for that and notoriously the studio was like yeah uh this looks dated we need to just cover it up with cgi instead
0: god damn it that's terrible
1: and you can get on youtube and you can just google like adi you know amalgamated dynamics and they have video journals for pretty much all of their movies and you can see all this behind the scenes stuff of them building things for all these movies and it's amazing. You can see all their original stuff for that Thing reboot Um, you can see like their original Green Goblin designs for I've seen Spider-Man which yeah. are wild right like there's there's all kinds of cool shit on there
0: Their original Green Goblin is a lot more like the uh, comic version and it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Do you think the 2011 2012 whenever it was Thing movie would have been a much better movie simply if they allowed them to keep the practical effects. Do I think it would have been a
1: better movie? Absolutely. Do I think the movie would have been good because of that change? No.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, the concept of the movie. Yeah,
0: visually, it would have been better. Yeah,
1: fundamentally, that movie was built around the wrong-headed idea, but I think it would have been more enjoyable to see practical effects in it, certainly. It's why Tremors is so good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, the practical effects of of Tremors, like, blew my mind in now, and it was made in 1990, 1989. Might have been when I was shot. Yeah.
1: And there's really only one sketchy effect moment. And it's like and a it's second. And it's just like a bad composite shot. You know, it's not even like that big of a deal. They're shooting in the basement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you I know exactly what I'm thing. talking about. Because it's the yeah. one scene in the movie that stands out. Everything else in the movie is so fucking good.
2: My favorite part about that scene, though, is that they did it in miniature as well. So there's two different yeah. versions of all the yeah. the graboid coming through the wall.
1: I didn't know that. And it's great editing just bouncing back and forth. Between those two things. It's, It's pretty seamless, yeah. The uh original Graboid design was supposed to just be like a solid, hard outer shell that then like opens up and pulls back to reveal like a soft, slimy worm on the inside, but Kinda everybody agreed that's just it's a dick. too phallic looking, yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> so, and also alien again. Yeah. yeah,
1: so they they changed it up to what we have now, which I think is a way more interesting design. All said and done, to have like the head that splits apart, like the beak breaks apart, and then there's little
0: tongues. Like it's just such yeah. a cool fucking creature design. The same argument can be made. I think we made this. We made it before on our our show a couple times. But I want to say the most recent might have been Event Horizon, which again was Sean Mars and I watched together. <laughs> yeah you and i oh my god yeah yeah crazy movie but again i think outside of like the actual creature itself and like the floor is lava concept it's not fully original but it takes all the ideas and executes them so well together yeah like the alien thing of something coming out of the mouth that also seems like it's its own creature being like the tongue of the creature or even the theatrical poster for tremors looks a lot like the poster from jaws yeah of the thing coming up with its teeth out and i drew a lot of comparisons to jaws while i was watching through this movie as like a more light-hearted version of jaws i think that this movie the stuff it does borrow it borrows in a way that isn't problematic where it's like kind of ripping things off it's more just building on them or honoring them in a way it's a good combination of all those while adding in its own degree and its own flavor of originality and creativity um yeah whether it's through the performances or the creature itself and like kind of how original that is
1: yeah totally and the last thing i wanted to mention as far as like back Stuff goes. And this is one of the things that I like. If we're going to push the idea that this movie is definitely an underrated gem, I think a lot of what makes a movie like this work is the music. You have to have a score that keeps you on edge
0: and builds excitement. I forgot how. F- fucking good the score of this movie was until I watched it just now and, and that's the thing like I don't think the score is
1: like groundbreakingly amazing but it works in it the context of this movie yes. works for this movie and it's like totally a fluke accident thing because the original score was done by Ernest Troost and it was mostly a like country western kind of score and they ditched the vast majority of that and went to Robert Folk and he's uncredited but like he rescored the vast majority of the movie with this more driving big orchestral traditional action movie kind of sound but I think that combination of those two things is perfect because you're getting that twangy guitar and harmonica to like really specifically give this location and the story and just like the overall mise-en-scene like some character but then you're getting that pulse pounding actiony kind
0: of adventure score it helps set perfection in the the desert itself like its own character yeah
2: and i feel like they didn't even just go with a normal country sound they had almost a zydeco element to a lot of those early songs that got they me did, yeah it, 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 like it was a lot of washboard it was a lot of twangy banjo and it, honestly it brought me into this other world an other place where someone's like yeah that's buck he's got a million guns and his wife is reba mcintyre and we're all totally chill with that <laughs> and we don't think that that's weird.
0: We have Chang over here who runs the shop, and while well, he is kind of a caricature, which is, like, maybe the thing that's most stated in this movie. A little bit, but I would argue that, like, the
1: whole town is caricature. Yeah, So it kind of works in that is sense. Everyone's
0: yeah. a caricature, and, like, no one bats an eye to him being who he is beyond, like, he's the store owner who just likes to make a buck.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they don't play it up to stereotype either, at least. No. Like, that's, that's uh, one thing that you can say about the character is that it's not super hyper caricatured in that sense
0: and every character feels like they belong yeah this movie felt like i was like almost part of the town itself kind of going through this and seeing the mystery unravel
2: one mystery that remains and if maybe we can solve that here today is i understand why everyone is in this town except for the family why are they here <laughs> why are they moved out into the middle of nowhere why did they think that this is the place to raise their small children i just just don't understand there's no school no. there's no
1: infrastructure right
0: no. i still don't understand like who melvin is related to okay
1: well that that's what i thought sean was about to bring up because mindy and nancy the mom and the daughter yeah. they are a family Melvin is not related to anybody. Melvin is just Melvin. What? Yeah. Melvin's parents are like mentioned in passing in the script, but they are never mentioned in the movie. You don't know who he goes with. He
0: just seems like a teenager living by himself in this desert yeah. town of 12. And yeah. the script
1: apparently made some passing comment about his parents being gamblers and them always being off in Las Vegas and just kind of leaving him back home. But like, yeah, in the movie you're, you just kind of assume, oh, well, he's got to be like one of the other people's kids or something yeah. but he's just there
0: i took it as maybe like chang was like taking care of him or watching over him or something yeah so sean and my own headcanon with the kids specifically with mindy and nancy the daughter because they kept mentioning that town like we got to get out of this valley and into that town to like get the police and contact someone there they kept saying that that town was like 30 miles out so i took it as maybe that's where they went to school they just traveled a distance to go to school in that other town
2: also what was the name of that town because watching it i
0: totally forgot it Already. My girlfriend kept bee. hearing
2: it. Big Ski, Bixby, Bixby, because we kept hearing maybe what was one of the most hilarious mispronunciations of Big Sky, and we, like which is a town in Montana, thinking that they were just saying Oh, Big Ski. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it is it is Bixby.
0: Okay, okay and just kind of right here up top i would a thousand percent recommend this even for people who don't necessarily like horror
1: yeah this one's not scary at all like it's it's thrilling i wouldn't say it's jump out at you scary if you can handle jaws it's jaws
0: yeah yeah like the scariest stuff you're dealing with is like seeing a dead body or like part of a dead body suddenly but it's like kind of done in such a context of the rest of this film that's kind of batshit and like obvious prosthetics and then you know some of the like reveals of the creature could maybe be like kind of startling at first like people just getting sucked into the dirt suddenly you know but none of it is like particularly terrifying in my opinion it's just a fun movie
2: one of the things that i know you guys have mentioned the like phobias involved with people that are potentially scared is i'm someone who is deathly afraid of snakes right yeah snakes get
0: me right we need to do a, a giggle flick snakes on a plane episode and have you on no not snakes on a plane anaconda
2: i've gotten through those move that movie once i have not gotten through snakes on a plane it is literally me cringing the whole time
0: so Aaron, snakes on a plane may as well be sean's exorcist or haunting <laughs> of hill house like it is it's
2: the absolute worst the idea of a metal tube filled with my nightmares is not something i would like to do to myself but one would think that this movie Tremors also kind of has a like a serious snake element with those little tongues that come out of the mouth and this is the weirdest shit the two little prehensile bits on the top make each one of those little mouths kind of look like a snail and for whatever that (laughs) it breaks the illusion and i'm like
0: not a snake we're all good dude it's like it's like my fear of wasps and hornets and yellow jackets but a bee no matter how big of like a bumblebee it is doesn't bother me in the least yeah it's just one of those weird things like my brain is able to kind of like make that distinction (laughs) again we talked about it but this is like the ultimate floor is lava horror movie uh horror comedy action movie when i first saw this when i was like 12 or 13 or whatever i was kind of like a little nervous like step on my lawn to like walk the dog if i got off concrete i was going to be swallowed yeah it is kind of that fun sort of horror to it but in terms of like deeper darker like reflections of society nah this is more just a lot of fun
1: yeah kind of along these lines, thalassophobia is something that we have talked about on the show, which is kind of that fear of dark water and not being able to see what's underneath the water. Now, granted, I'm sure there is maybe a, another phobia for the same thing, like what's under the ground. You know, this is sand, obviously, but definitely some of those fears still apply as well, where, you know, you might be out in the middle of nowhere by yourself and you just feel like you're being watched or something is nearby and just not knowing, like, what's underneath you. So, that would be kind of another angle for sure yeah all right cool cool well let's kind of run through everything and talk as we go so movie begins and we are introduced to valentine mckee aka val and earl bassett and they are working as handymen in the desert town of perfection nevada
0: kevin bacon needs no introduction but he plays val and is this our first movie that has kevin bacon
1: yes and on that note we don't have to introduce kevin bacon right he has too many big screen credits but i did put down specifically just a few horror titles so to give you an idea like dude has done so much and dude has been in so many big things like here's just the horror movies that kevin bacon has been in friday the 13th flatliners stir of echoes hollow man the following and the darkness recently
0: i didn't even know he was in friday the 13th yeah yeah he's didn't in the OG that friday the
1: 13th yep and then fred ward plays earl bassett which i love fred ward that he's like one of the best no shit southern dude
0: actors his performance as earl bassett made me wish he was in a lot more stuff right now like totally, he's totally. He, he was he is so good in this movie
1: and uh he shares my birthday so So that'll be fun anyway yeah he was in escape from alcatraz southern comfort which i mentioned on the show a while back the right stuff silkwood uncommon valor remo williams the adventure begins and then it didn't actually continue (laughs) he was in cast a deadly spell which is a fucking hbo movie that i mentioned maybe early episode of the show that is one that our college friend West recommended to me a while back and I checked it out it's like a noir 1940s detective thing in LA but imagine a world where like magic is just real and everybody knows about magic and lots of people can just do magic that's dope there's like a Lovecraft angle underneath the surface of the movie and Fred Ward is the main detective guy in this and his name is like John Lovecraft or something
0: fuck yeah are we doing this are we gonna do this movie eventually we could we could eventually it
1: was pretty fucking fun um, you could watch it on HBO like if you have HBO Max right now it's on there it's just part of their like catalog of uh, made for TV movies he was also in The Player and Shortcuts two good Altman movies Joe Dirt and then uh, and <laughs> Anonymous so he's been in a bunch of solid stuff so yeah these two guys playing these two shit kicker ne'er do well They are on their way back to town and uh on the way they see the new grad student from the local university who we learn is a female so of course kevin bacon's like hell yeah let's go check her out um he is looking for love
0: in all the wrong places here's the thing about this movie that i really enjoy he obviously like acts like he is slick as fuck almost sexist like womanizer like i'm a lady killer type of guy but obviously he's just like he's not i want a good relationship with someone like and i have a good heart and i'm actually really shy around women
1: he puts up his like bad boy tough exterior but he really is just a softie. yeah yeah
0: because yeah. this character could have veered wildly into like some sexist bullshit and he never does he he's more of just thinks he's being slick but he's not but he's also really genuine and really just wants to find yeah. like the right girl
2: yeah there's also this brief moment in this scene specifically when on my most recent rewatch there's a new student that's been out here that's been collecting this stuff and suddenly my mind was like what happened to the other student well no was this lady in college <laughs> is this a college-aged woman that this person lusts over for this movie and i'm suddenly like doing all the math i'm like he's got to be in his 30s this is messed up and then it's not till so the end of the movie that he's like she's gonna have a phd and i'm like oh, okay all right we're good we're good <laughs> yeah. everything's fine yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's a, she's like in her late 20s that's early fine. 30s late yeah. 20s that's totally <laughs> yeah. cool totally yeah. yeah and
0: i like that these two guys are not only like they're basically brothers because like 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 the movie opens with them fucking with each other yeah like they're always doing rock rock, paper scissors scissors. to determine who's gonna do like the shitty job or whatever and i do love that like and this is kind of a little bit later on that they were obviously living in the same trailer that they obviously just like built and parked in perfection like everyone else in this fucking movie just like made their makeshift trailers and shacks like the best looking house in perfection is um mindy and nancy's house it actually looks (laughs) kind of like a house and everyone else's is like either a trailer or a shack so yeah they Drive out when they see the
1: student out there working. She's doing like seismic studies. So she's got all these like sensors and computers and all this equipment. Um, we learn that her name is Rhonda Lebec. Again, Val is especially intrigued by the proposition of there being an available female in the
0: valley to uh, investigate. Uh, Rhonda, I can safely tell you right now, as a 12 year old, 13 year old, I crushed hard on her when I first saw Tremors. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. And I think even a couple times through high school, I caught it again. Like, I would crush hard on her and she's played by finn carter who again like there's no way i can compare it to laura dern but like this performance in tremors is very reminiscent to me of a laura dern in jurassic park and it makes me wish finn carter like really broke out because of this role but um she didn't really do that and like she's had some legal issues and stuff in the recent like last year or so so
1: yeah you mentioned that and i looked her up she's from greenville mississippi oddly enough but she started in soaps and tv and then she did this this was her first feature she would go on to do ghosts of mississippi which is kind of her only other big movie and then some tv but then there is definitely an immediate break from like 2005 to now basically so i don't know if maybe she you know got married retired from acting raised a family did a different career who knows there's just basically nothing on her resume from 2005 on um and then you see the blurbs of you know some of her recent legal troubles like you said and then you're kind of like oh hmm okay so you know hopefully uh things turn around for her yeah hopefully she uh gets kind of on the better side of life and you know
0: maybe starts getting some work again this was the only bummer about covering this movie for me was like looking her Seeing like, oh, what has she been up to? Oh. Because, like, yeah. I loved her so much yeah. in this movie. And again, I really think this should have been like a breakout performance role for her. At least that's the type of energy I felt when I was watching this. She got
2: nominated for a Saturn Award. Like, people liked it. People were like, oh, this yeah. is fun.
0: But uh, yeah. it didn't happen that way. And I'm kind of bummed out that that's the way things went. Yep, yep. So
1: they introduced themselves to her. Um, she also kind of asks if anybody's been blasting or drilling recently because her equipment's picking up all these strange readings right and they just kind of like okay you know we'll see you later ha wink wink so they head back into town and they go to the local general store slash watering hole slash post office slash everything where we meet kind of the rest of the townsfolk weird story but when heather and i went to a wedding in rural canada a couple of years ago this community had a general store, shop, post office, liquor store, literally everything combination in one spot kind of thing just like this. Where it legitimately was like grocery store, gas station, post office, liquor store, everything. So we get introduced to the rest of the cast. So we'll run through them real quick. We have Bert and Heather Gummer who are like two survivalist, gun nut, crazy hardcores, you know, live out in the middle of the desert on their compact
0: Couple, But here's the fucking difference is they're never like okay boomer racist. They're never yeah, like exactly. super ignorant. They're just kind of like the kooky people who are like the survivalists that kind of just think that doomsday is going to be coming. Yeah, They're the preppers, yeah.
2: They believe either World War III is happening, the government's out to get them, they have weird yeah. beliefs on that sort of stuff, but it's never in a negative light.
0: Yeah, and it's played up as laughs, like yeah. everyone laughs them off. But the great thing too is later on when shit hits the fan... They they don't really throw it in people's faces that much either which is nice they just are like all right we got to do this thing they're there to We're help they're there to help y'all they
1: are there to help immediately yeah it's it's never a like fuck you i got mine kind of attitude from them they are like immediately ready to help the town so yep. yeah they are on the good end of that like prepper feeling thing
0: heather gummer is played by reba mcintyre like country queen herself yep. fucking a bonkers at that she's in this movie to me but it's the best stunt casting it's
2: her first movie and this is yeah. what kicks off her eventual long-running tv show it's one of those shows that uh when i was in nigeria there was a, a channel that was just called the series channel and they would buy like two <laughs> or three shows every year and they would just play them constantly so i saw all of cheers and all of reba wow. which is I will say, awesome show. Reba fucking rules.
0: Yeah, I actually like I've watched a little bit of Reba and it's it's not a bad show. Reba rules. Yeah. And it turns out like she was
2: awesome at this. They made her read for it. The guy who was directly off of making his first uh movie ever was like, I don't know about putting this country singer in my movie.
1: Yeah. It's very obvious stunt casting, but in this case it works. It, yeah. It
2: works. It works, and what's fun is when it was on cable and TNT and when we were watching it i don't feel we knew i didn't know who reba mcintyre was yeah
0: yeah until this most recent watch i didn't realize that was her until savannah told me like yeah reba mcintyre is in that movie i'm like what yeah <laughs> and i'm like who she play oh bert's wife heather okay now bert gummer is the character of this entire fr- he is the face yeah. of this yeah he has
1: become like the guy for this whole entire franchise which is
0: funny because he he's more of just like an important secondary character in this movie and he's still a supporting character even in the second movie it's really not until the third movie
1: that he is the lead period
0: but yeah michael gross Obviously, it had the time of his life with this movie. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in every fucking thing associated with this franchise.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, too, like, politically speaking, you know, he was the dad on Family Ties. That's what he was known for when this movie happened. Fucking 170-something episodes of that goddamn show. But he was kind of the, like, ex-hippie college protest... You know, we made a difference Woodstock man kind of liberal dad in that show and you know then Michael J. Fox is kind of the like young Republican 80s conservative son right like that's kind of the dynamic of that show so for then for this guy who's known for that character to do a, like a complete 180 and be this like Reagan era prepper gun nut guy was like a completely different
0: hilarious like thing from this actor yeah but it is just wild to me because like he was in everything with, or he's been in everything with Tremors all the movies even up until the one that came out like two years ago and the one that's coming out this year he was the lead of the tv show as well yeah and he was the lead of the tv show he was in everything
1: as far as other things he's done he did a fucking cool as ice with vanilla ice (laughs)
0: he's been in
1: like every fucking tv show in the last 30 years here is our Batman the Animated Series oh, shit. entry for this episode. Oh, so he's the voice of Lloyd Ventrix from the episode See No
0: Evil. You know,
1: there's our obligatory, you know, every other episode Batman the Animated Series plug.
0: Hey, yeah, we haven't had one in a little while, actually. It's been kind of a string. Yeah.
1: Other than those two characters, we also have Walter Chang, who owns the general store all in one place for the town. He is played by Victor Wong, who is in Year of the Dragon, Big Trouble in Little China, which is one of my favorites, The Last Emperor, Prince of Darkness, which we will certainly get to eventually, The Joy Luck Club, and the Three Ninjas series. Amazing. So, Hell yeah. Yes, Miguel is played by Tony Gennaro. He was in La Bamba, The Craft, The Mask of Zorro, lots of TV. Um, he was also like in Underwood's other movies too so like he definitely stayed connected with this director and he is a Hispanic farmer guy that's in the area. And then we have Nancy who is the mother character and her daughter Mindy. Um, Nancy is played by Charlotte Stewart who has done lots of TV as well. She is the girlfriend in Eraserhead and oh. she's Betty Briggs yep. of Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's where I most recently so, there remember you go. her from. And uh, Mindy is Ariana Richards. She is most notably from jurassic park speaking of
0: yeah which i buried my own ass on earlier in their episode yeah i
2: did not realize until this exact moment
1: that that is the same yeah. yep
0: talk about a totally fucking her. crazy career going from tremors in oh, 1990 God. to jurassic park a couple years yeah. later
1: melvin that we joked about earlier he's like the punk teenage kid that everybody kind of fucking hates he is played by robert jane who is. In every fucking TV show from 1980 to 2005, you
0: want to know what's crazy about him and Ariana Richards? Who you just said they both again skipped the second movie, came back for the third one, and haven't at least Ariana Richards has not been in any of the movies after that.
1: So Tony Gennaro that plays Miguel, Mindy, Nancy, Melvin, they all four come back for number three because the third movie like goes back to the original town.
2: Back to Perfection is the name of the movie.
1: Yeah, and,
0: uh, but uh, that's kind of crazy me because like even even the second one which the second one still had fred ward on playing earl even that one went straight to vhs dvd all of them but this one
1: well again I th- a lot of that's just because this movie made its money back but it did not make the kind of money that the studio figured it would but seeing how popular it was in the years after they kind of figured like let's do a sequel but let's not risk doing another sequel that's gonna go and like just barely break even if at all at the theatrical level So that's why they probably did it (laughs) direct-to-video, just to be safe. And I mean, to the point, it worked. I mean, it it made a shit ton of money, regardless. There was also supposed to be, like, a mean old lady character with a Rottweiler in the script. They kind of left her out for some unknown reason. I didn't really find a, like, definite reason why they cut that character. During this scene as well, where Val and Earl are just kind of going around and chit-chatting with everybody and having a drink, we also are introduced to... Chekhov's drink cooler which will certainly come up later they've got like the big giant chest freezer that they've got all the like beer and you know soda in and when it goes on the fritz it starts like shaking and vibrating everywhere and they're all just like god damn it cut that noise out and you know get that thing fixed so of course that's gonna come back up
0: yeah there's another thing that I thought was gonna be a Chekhov's gun with like the septic tank but really that scene was just to introduce you to how much of an asshole Melvin is Melvin's like just the shithead kid this entire movie
1: well also just
0: how much of a shitty yeah, job, their job is. Val yeah, and Earl right. have, literally. The lives yeah. that
2: they've created for themselves are just so... <laughs> terrible but
0: you get the sense yeah. like through this whole thing that like everyone knows each other obviously and everyone's friends but like a lot of the townsfolk really do rely on Earl and Val and they've been able to keep them around by bribing them with not just money but free food and alcohol like for do- to doing these terrible jobs yeah. but like they are kind of the backbone of this whole entire community when it comes to like making sure things work and continue work but they know that and they know they're kind of stuck in a dead end if they keep up with it so like throughout this opening scene you're also seeing them really being like we just gotta just say fuck it and get out of here. Yeah.
1: We then cut back to Rhonda and she is leaving her site um, where she's got all of her equipment set up and we see something big kind of moving underneath the sand, right? And you kind of get that like Jaws style POV and it's like stalking her right up to her truck so we get the first glimpses of like something is out in the desert (laughs) and like we just mentioned Val and Earl are then emptying a septic tank and it busts and that's kind of the final straw where they're just like God damn it, fuck this town. Get fuck all this. Let's get out of here. So it does like a hard smash to them packing their shit in the truck, just like piling everything in. I love Val's little bit about, I love this vacuum cleaner. Yes, I'm bringing this vacuum <laughs> yeah. cleaner. But yeah, they're
0: intended to just like leave town
1: once and for all and go to Bixby.
0: That's such a funny scene because like as they're pulling out, like they stop to grab the literal sign off their mailbox. Yeah. It says like Val and Earl on it. Little small touches throughout this movie that make it so funny. Yeah.
1: Another Chekhov's little girl on pogo stick moment is introduced incredible. so again you know that's coming back absolutely incredible yeah every little dumb detail in this movie is there for a reason you know and that's that's like the fun thing about it is you just see all the things like beforehand and you connect the dots about how they're gonna go so on their way out of town they notice the local electrician is perched way up on an electrical tower they think he's like still drunk but then they discover that he's actually dead from dehydration clutching his rifle and you know he's been up there for a few days so something weird happened right like he didn't come down for some dumb reason we then see the local sheep farmer fred he is mysteriously attacked by some creature and pulled underground the boys then come across his corpse and his slaughtered flock um they like
0: find his head buried in the sand all gross this is probably like the best bit of horror in my opinion in the movie of you're kind of reintroduced to this gimmick between val and earl where like he's not responding to our calls okay which one of us is going to go climb up there they do yeah. rock paper scissors val loses and goes and Takes a climb. And it's a nice reel because he starts tapping the guy on the shoulder and all of a sudden it turns around and you see the guy as a corpse, and they wind up going back into town briefly, delivering his body, the local doctors. It's like who the hell would be out to get him like that? And then they're on the way out again, and they're kind of spooked by that. But then yeah, you they come across the farmer, see his fucking decapitated head in the ground, which was another closest thing to a jump scare in this movie. Is like when they pick up his hat and his face is just staring up at them. 100% <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent jump scare. Yeah. And I mean it, again it's within the context of this movie it's like not particularly scary but it is kind of shocking and then that's when they're like what the fuck there's a serial killer out here
1: yeah i do like the angle that at first they just think that there is like a killer in the valley yeah that's kind of an interesting take and it's like not out of reason that that could be what's going on yeah
0: in a setting like perfection that would be especially creepy yeah yeah that whole idea too is, is just kind of unsettling to think about yeah what i also
2: like is at this point in the movie as soon as you see that guy's face the pace of the movie just keeps going yeah Yeah. even like the slow sort of creeping into the beginning and this like fun relationship and you've met a few people but at this point the pace picks up and does not relent for the rest of the film
1: yeah so they're heading back toward town they pass this road construction crew on their way out you know and kind of tell them like y'all gotta get out of here there's a killer loose you know get out of here get out of here and they blast off toward the town and then you know right then the workers are both killed you know we see like one of them drilling into the ground with a jackhammer and it punctures something and like blood starts oozing up out of the ground and something drags off the jackhammer
0: but yeah like one of the guys is ripped underground another guy gets killed in an avalanche All of that was done practically. And that scene where like the jackhammer is jacked into something and it starts getting dragged and it's dragged through the concrete. And it's just ripping up all the road. And it's ripping up the concrete. was such a cool effect even now because it was all done practically. And then, yeah, it gets like shot up into the air when whatever is underneath there like grabs it. And then the guy like it gets tangled up in his leg and he gets dragged off, eaten off screen. Like all of this is like really fucking solid.
1: And then the guy's turn around. To head back to Bixby. Okay, like we've done, we told everybody in the town what's going on. Let's get back out. But then this is where they discover, like, okay, we can't leave. The road's blocked. You know, all this rubble fell, and now like the one road out of town is like
0: out.
2: Insane. There's like three boulders. How the fuck can't they get around that?
0: Well, and I, I think too at that point, A, they find a bloody helmet of one of the workers, and then they see the arm sticking out yeah. from the rubble of the other. So I think at that point they're like, All right, we can't leave. We yeah. have to like make sure everyone in town is like gonna be okay through whatever's going on and then that's like when they accidentally back up something gets stuck on their car or on their truck and they pull out this is where we're finally introduced at least to partially to the graboid because when they get back to town they discover a big fucking giant like snake looking worm thing that has wrapped itself around the back bumper of their truck
1: yeah it's like twisted around the axle of the truck and you think that val just kind of backed up and hung up the truck on something but really you know he was grabbed by this creature Um, We also find out, too, that the phone lines are completely down in the valley, too. So they can't call out.
0: Well, and something, too, about this reveal that I like is they don't waste any time being like, well, this is probably just coincidence. We still have to be on the lookout for this killer. No, they put two and two together right away. Like, these people might be, like, out in the middle of the boonies and maybe sound hick. But they're pretty, like, on point of being like, this is a big giant worm thing that is strong enough to hold our truck in place and big enough to harm people this is what's been maybe killing people around town and killing the animals and like they immediately like realize okay it's these fucking snake things now obviously they don't realize that like this is just a part of it but you know they don't waste any time being like okay it's this thing that's causing all the problems yeah So, later that night, we meet another
1: older couple who is building their retirement home, kind of on the edge of the valley.
0: It's the doctor and his wife from earlier, yeah, yeah. They
1: are attacked and killed. The husband is yanked underground by the snake-like creatures, and the wife is trying to pull him out, and eventually he just like... gets completely sucked under. The wife runs to their car, which seems like a good idea at the time because we see the little snakes coming up against the window and she seems like it's okay, but then all of a sudden the entire car starts shaking and gets yanked underground and you eventually just see, like, the whole thing starting to sink in the ground and we just see, like, these headlights disappear off in the distance just disappear, right? Which is a pretty great, you know, way to visually show that. Which
2: is fun and something that they had to do because originally they had created a crazy rig to slowly lower that car.
1: That effect was more complex when it first was planned, but there was like a mechanical issue and they literally just ran out of nighttime. So they just kind of had the idea to like shoot the headlights instead. Which works!
2: It really works. Yeah, totally.
1: It also makes the reveal of what happens to the car that
0: much more effective when you like see it later. Yeah. Up to this point, this really feels like a horror movie because like this whole scene is genuinely pretty creepy of what happens to the doctor and his wife yeah and sad, and sad. Like a fl- yeah. Like the
2: couple is we have this life now. we're gonna
0: retire here
1: we're gonna yeah. look up at the stars <laughs> anytime we want and then not sandworms nope the only road out of town is blocked they have mountains and cliffs surrounding the town and the phone lines are down right so the town decides that the only way that they can get help is for val and earl to essentially ride to bixby on Horseback. So as they're riding the horses out of town, they come across the doctor's homestead and then they, you know, see that they were attacked. They hear like, you know, music playing and they kind of follow the sound and then they discover the fucking car is literally buried, like grill headlights of the car pointing straight up. The car
0: is like completely in the ground, right? What a creepy way to like come across how they died of just like you're hearing this faint sound of a radio. And you just dig like, what the fuck is this? Oh, that's solid. Is this a rock? And it's a headlight that's on up at you and you realize the whole thing is underground. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was the moment where they were like, well, shit, it can't be just those little guys. Like, there's no way that those worms could be doing all this. And at that moment, their horses are attacked. And like, you know, one of them's kind of half yanked under the ground. The other one's just kind of bit on the legs and flips over. But this is when like the full monster finally bursts out of the ground. And we see it's this like... Like giant fucking bloated worm with all these little like, you know, spikes along its back and a giant huge fucking beak that opens up and it's got like mandible predator style like lower beaks. And then the three fucking snake
0: tongues like pour out of its fucking mouth. It's like such a great reveal. Even more hardcore and dangerous than, like, the thing that comes out of Alien's uh, mouth. This is far more terrifying to me, and at least in regard of, like, how deadly it would be to encounter one of these things.
2: It's such an awesome creature reveal, because not only is this a creature that's got all these crazy parts to it, but it's a creature that works in broad daylight Absolutely. this isn't nighttime yeah. it's not behind fog it's not coming in and you're seeing glimpses of it there's no way to hide it it's fully just this is the creature and it's still works. Yeah. yeah, It pulls off
0: really well. And you could say that it having those weird tentacle things that come out of its mouth, like those snake-like things, is a little bit of a hat on a hat. But honestly, like, this creature just being so subterranean and devoted to that, and, like, that's what makes it dangerous throughout this entire movie. It works so well. And again, we can't stress this enough, this movie is 99.5% practical. So, like, when this thing shows up, the practical effects of, like, people who are behind this, such a good fucking creature design.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, they run towards this concrete irrigation channel that's kind of cut in the valley to help with storm water and stuff like that and they try to jump across and totally whiff and mist and fall into this giant concrete channel and they're panicking, scrambling, trying to get up but turns out the monster just fucking slams into the concrete wall and at first they're like yeah it knocked itself out cold and then the concrete wall kind of cracks and falls apart and you see one of the little tentacles just fall out and then blood start pouring out and they're like no it just slammed to the wall and killed itself yeah
0: at first they're like hell yeah we got the monster we killed yeah it. and pause right here for one second i have two very small gripes about this movie my one small gripe is like that one brief not even like three second scene that is obviously in front of like a green screen that's the only effect that doesn't work in this movie but again it's only like two or three seconds the only other small gripe i have is the consistency of the creature itself in terms of how deadly it is because the movie does such a good job in the beginning and even kind of throughout after this of being like if you land on the ground you're fucked like if it hears you and you are on the ground you're fucked and like a lot of other people seem like they're taken out and they didn't even have it shot but like the plot armor of the protagonists like they're able to kind of run around on dirt that could have easily been accessed by the graboids throughout this entire movie and never seem like i mean they get in danger obviously like a couple times but they never seem like totally fucked And so, like, the Graboids themselves go from being, like, super, super dangerous to being, like, as dangerous as they need to be in the scene, but where the protagonists still make them look like a bunch of chumps. Sure. So that is my only small gripe, and I think a lot of that really is also due to, like, maybe also even the datedness of they could only go so far with practical effects and yada yada. Because later on, a Graboid bursts through a fucking basement wall that is, like, all concrete brick, but in this scene, like, it runs itself into the wall, and while it does crumble, the wall... It kills itself when it does that. Yeah,
2: it is kind of crazy that it is able to kill itself by that wall, and then it takes what fifty bullets later, and is like, <laughs> yeah, "No, nah, yeah, I'm one, good." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: see that. Th- this is my only big gripe I have is just their consistency as monsters. Everything else about them is amazing and perfect. Yeah. This is also where we have one of the first really noticeable
1: ADR lines as well as Kevin Bacon yells, screw you, and clearly that is uh, not what he was saying. (laughs) And again, like on TV, I always thought, oh, they just edited that for TV. Nope, that's totally in the movie is this really
0: bad ADR of him yelling, screw you. By the way, Kevin Bacon, accent, pretty well done throughout this movie, I gotta say. Yeah. Pretty believable. Solid.
1: Um, We then have another quick jump scare as uh, Rhonda finds them and kind of spooks them after they've just had this encounter. Hey, Bart, want to see my chainsaw? <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. kind of one of those. <laughs> but yeah they like dig enough of the creature out of the sand to kind of like see it in full so there's this great moment where you know you see like how long and massive this worm is after kevin bacon's kind of like dug the sand out around it they have had a conversation in
2: that ditch and then pan up to kevin bacon being the fastest shoveler on the fucking planet
1: (laughs) yeah really yeah let's
2: have a quick chat and then also kevin bacon's like
0: yep excavated
2: this whole fucking worm
0: (laughs) and they're talking about like how they're gonna need like a flatbed and like all this equipment to get the thing out of the ditch. But then they were able to pull the whole thing out of the wall somehow, whatever. This movie's great, so I can't really knock it for that. And I do love when they're talking with Rhonda about this. Like Rhonda is fascinated from like student wanting to study the specimen type of way. And then the other two, like uh Earl and Val, are very much just we're gonna make so much money off this. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna make Chang pay us a ton for it. This is amazing.
1: Yeah. Rhonda also in this moment kind of concludes that based on the readings that all of her equipment's picking up, no, this is not the only creature. There should be three more creatures out there. So (laughs) they are pretty definitively fucked for the time being. Right then again, another one of the creatures pops up. Um, and chases the trio onto a rock formation that is nearby. And these are like big, huge, massive, sedentary boulder rock formations. And they're just stuck, you know? So it's them kind of trying to wait this thing out. And they keep throwing like smaller rocks on the ground and it just always is there waiting on them. And that's when they kind of realize like, oh yeah, that's why old dude didn't come down from the electrical tower because this thing just waits. It's just going to wait you out until you either die or, you know, you come down and it gets you.
0: Yeah, because they even stay the night out on this rock yeah and and in the morning they like toss a stone and like yeah immediately it's still there yeah
1: This is where they kind of postulate that the creatures could be some kind of pre-fossil record thing that just hasn't been seen all this time. Earl even jokes that it could be aliens.
0: Yeah, like all three of them have a different theory. Like, one of them is like, oh, it was a government test gone wrong. Yeah. Or potentially radiology. Yeah. The other one's like, nah dog, it's aliens.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They also deduce that the creatures hunt via sound and seismic waves, and that's how they're tracking them since the one that they killed in the ditch didn't have any obvious eyes or anything like that so
2: to put a point on this i love that they don't tell me what the creature is. Yeah. Yeah. They never totally. explain it. Totally unnecessary. The concept of someone within this series understanding what this creature was within a few days or a few hours doesn't make sense. And so I like that they're like, no, no one would know. You don't need to know. So we're good.
0: Yeah. And the stuff that they do figure out, like with it navigating through seismic vibrations and not having eyes, is from Rhonda being there and like kind of knowing her shit already when it comes to anything subterranean. And like obviously there are other other animals in the world that don't have eyes that operate underground um, that do the same thing. Aaron is someone who bit the bullet and has seen all of them, including the more recent one. Do they ever explain like where the things come from?
1: Ultimately, no. Good. Good. Like, right. it keeps getting more complicated, and the wrinkle in every movie after a minute seems to be like, oh, well, we thought that they would only appear in this one place in the world, and turns out, no, now they're in South Africa, now they're in, like, the Canadian Arctic, now they're in, like, Thailand, jungle island, whatever. But yeah, they they still never, like, explain the origins of the creatures at all. I'm
0: glad, I'm glad that they... I'm, I'm glad, yeah,
1: same. So the next morning, as the men are essentially arguing about what they do, ronda discovers like these long poles that are near their rock and she just pole vaults from one boulder to the next right and the two guys were arguing about like how do we get out of here what are we going to do next and you just see her like pole vault behind them and they both just kind of turn around like what the fuck did she just do you know so that's kind of a clever fun
0: moment well and I, I love too the whole time like earl is just like val what are you doing she's great come on like <laughs> yeah he's he's pushing her to like make some moves yeah and uh, and like she is like and that's something i appreciated about this character throughout this movie is she's just as capable as everyone else in this and she is just as much in danger as everyone else is throughout the movie. Like, she's never just the damsel in distress character. Yeah. It's just funny. She's like, come on, guys. Y'all have never Paul voted before and then she does it. And they like, yeah.
2: oh. This also sets up this whole dynamic thread that works through the rest of the movie where she is the person that knows things about things, right? So every time they're like, well, I don't know. And then they all look to her and she's like, why would I know this? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not the expert on on literally everything yeah
2: exactly but that's built here and it's like a fun thing
1: yeah so they basically hop from boulder to boulder and they eventually reach Rhonda's truck that was kind of on the far side of where they were in the valley just barely avoiding the creature once again when they reach town they tell all of the stunned kind of disbelieving townsfolk about the worms you know who are initially like okay wait you showed us this small worm you mean there's something <laughs> bigger out there oh my god what do we do next this is crazy they they conclude that their best bet is to head into the mountains since the town is directly in the path of the attacks right like they've been little by little watching as like these different little landmarks on their way out of town have been destroyed and people have been killed so they know that they're like right you know next in line and the mountains are solid rocks so they figure we'll be safe there they can't get through the solid rock and then the general store owner walter chang finally gives the creatures a name graboids graboids
0: i love chang and even um the shithead kids melvin yeah fighting about it when they had. well and when they have like the corpse of the tongue from earlier that they showed everyone like they're already setting it up in chang's shop as a, for three dollars take your picture with the mutant sandworm thing yeah
2: the maximum amount of money that they can make off of that is what 39 dollars. there's not that many people in this town <laughs> i love how
0: nancy and mindy are already doing it <laughs> like yeah. come on honey just put it around your-, your neck and she's just like i don't want to what if it's still alive like that whole thing was funny what makes it kind of menacing is like they realize throughout all of them talking like what the hell do we do or maybe they'll just go away or maybe they won't come into town is like these worms are making their way towards the town like because as they have hit everyone like the farmer the people who are working on the road the guy that was up on the tower it's getting closer and closer it's following a straight lines right into town so they're like yeah we need to like either get the fuck out of here or do something about this yeah
1: as they're all kind of arguing about what to do the graboids attack the town. Yeah, Chekhov's water cooler from earlier in Chang's store. Yep. The little girl, Mindy, is on her pogo stick. Um, she is bouncing down the road when somebody finally pays attention like, okay, where's Cindy? Oh my god, she's out there. And of course, she's like, got on headphones. So she can't hear everybody yelling at Amazing. her to like, get inside. Val runs out, grabs her, saves her. Rhonda gets tangled up in barbed wire and loses her pants. Chang is killed when the malfunctioning cooler draws the beast's attention and it bursts through the floor of the general store and grabs him and eats him.
0: Chang has the most upfront death because like you see it eating him like on screen. Yeah. And it's like swallowing him the little side. tentacles are wrapped
1: around him slinging him around. Yeah it's great.
0: Well and I like on the pogo stick when he like dives and gets her off the pogo stick the pogo stick gets like sucked under and then shot up into the air. Yeah like spit out across the way. You know, yeah that's cool. Um, That effect where they're like running on the boards that make up the porch of the Chang store and the board boards all shoot up as the creature is like running after them. It looks like a wave. That effect is cool as shit. And I remember when I was watching the whole thing on sci-fi, the the reruns of the movies into the third movie, they talked about production stuff in between those. There was a whole thing where they talked about the effects that they used, like where I think they did something where they made the boards loose and like had some kind of air pressure thing. Shoot the boards up in that way to make it look like a wave. It was really cool.
1: Yep. At this point, all the townspeople get up on their rooftops and this is like we were joking like right at the beginning this is kind of the like floor is lava moment of this movie where everybody's got to get up to the high ground right
2: even before that when they're still in the shop they get onto the tops of the shelves and jump from shelf to shelf before they can get to the ladder to get on the top and that's when it's like it's lava time
0: yeah and Rhonda gets pants again which i i was kind of worried like oh shit i don't really remember like this but like are they just gonna have her showing her panties the whole time like no that only lasts literally a couple minutes because they Get her out of the barbed wire, bring her inside, and then someone was like, Here's a pair of pants. A
2: pair of perfectly fitting fit pants.
0: Yeah, a pair of perfectly fitting pants. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but yeah, that scene where she's hopping like shelf to shelf is really cool. Cause like she crashes out of a window at that scene, and they're worried that like she got eaten when she crashed out of the window. They all scramble up to the roof of Chang's shop, and then they see she scrambled up the water tower that's like across the yeah. way, and then Mindy and Nancy get up on top of their house. The other guy gets on top of his like, shack, Melvin fucking ass is like on top of the outhouse yeah at this point they try and get in touch with Bert and Heather because Bert and Heather after seeing that first mini worm that's what they think they're hunting are those snake looking things that are just the tongues and they they don't realize that they're underground either so they went off in like Bert's truck looking to shoot them and they get back to their compound and they're just like it's so strange we haven't found a single thing out there like what the hell is going on and like they go into the basement area as Bert is like preparing bullets yeah Heather takes
1: out all their spent casings and puts them into a case cleaner which is like a giant vibrating drum that's right. yeah, yeah. full of polishing grit so it's just this giant thing that rock tumble shakes all your casings to clean them and get all the
0: grit and stuff off growing up in the south I should have known that
2: as someone who has no idea about guns I was like oh it's a noisemaker that you put bullets in <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's, cool. that's what I was glad, glad <laughs> you had that yeah.
0: when they get out of their truck she puts up, pulls out up her binoculars Heather does and like looks out in town and she does see everyone out on their roofs and she's just like what are they doing and then they go in and they use the the radio in Chang's shop to like warn them like get on your roofs they're underground and of course Bert is already like cleaning the shell casings and then this is the scene where like this is
1: the best scene in the movie
0: hands down yeah yeah this scene is fucking hell great so continue on Aaron
1: this scene specifically like the slow tension
0: leading up to To
1: kind of this big reveal. The abrupt radio silence. So the Graboids are heading directly for them. They can see the dust clouds from town heading right toward Heather and Bert's house way off in the distance. And they're screaming warning them like, y'all gotta get out of there. You gotta get on your roofs. They're coming for you. They come through the ground. There's the moment where Heather and Bert kind of look at each other, but then they just kind of have that fuck it. If that thing's gonna come for us, cock rifles, here we go. Let's just wait for it. And there's that tension of them like hearing it and hearing the growl and like wondering where it's going to come from and they're kind of peeking out the windows of the basement but then it rams through the fucking wall of the like, you know, workbench area and they start unloading on it. It cuts back to the people in town and you hear them screaming like, oh God, it's here, I... I and it like cuts out and there's that moment of radio silence. And then all of a sudden you just hear the report of the rifles that like pop. <coughs> yeah. Like off of the yeah. distance.
0: Yeah. That's such a cool reveal. Cause at that point, Val, Earl, Rhonda, and everyone else on the roofs are just like, Oh fuck. They got them. And then like a yeah. couple seconds and you start hearing the rifle fire.
2: It's a perfect three part sort of reveal because first it's shit. They got eaten. They're done. And then it's the rifle going off and you're like, oh wait maybe they're still alive and then a few seconds later when they pan over
1: to the wall of guns yeah because you think they just have these two hunting rifles exactly and they're unloading and firing on this fucking thing and then they like click 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 they're out and you're like oh shit oh no they're out and it's still coming but then the camera dollies back and you just see this giant fucking wall full of guns and it's honestly that's at
2: the point where this movie kind of changes pace again like it's already been like cruising the entire time but it hits a different gear where it's like yeah, guess what time to fight back
1: yeah and that steady escalation too to like bigger and more ridiculous weapons just going from like rifle to rifle to shotgun to like two fucking pistols uh you know flare gun and then eventually Bert busts open the glass case and gets out this fucking elephant gun with (laughs) these fucking giant brass cartridges that are the size of salamis right and he finally like blows holes in this fucking thing and it finally slumps over and is dead and there's kind of this moment of like fuck yeah we did it we finally we killed one we did it and they radio back to the people in town are like we killed it okay this is another bad adr we killed that mother humper yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's great you did get that mother humper and, and, and,
0: like everyone's <laughs> cheering in town which is yeah pretty fuck yeah moment this is also the scene though that has that unfortunate cut to green screen a bird in front of it shooting that lasts like a couple seconds yeah
1: it's like a bad bad optical kind of thing it's either like a rear projection or it's just like a bad forced optical that doesn't look good i love too that the writers joke that the whole time that they were writing these two characters they were envisioning chuck norris and linda hamilton (laughs) Um, that's totally totally like you can see that but i like these two characters are far more believable obviously yeah
2: seeing reba mcintyre with guns akimbo just like fucking shooting at his worm (laughs) such an amazing visual that you just can't explain Uh, two decades later when she's on this like long-standing sitcom and she's had this career that she has you're like yeah yeah, yeah." and then you know you started shooting worms you know that was your GM
0: yeah well and like both y'all described too like she is believable in this movie in this role like really believable yeah there's a good callback in the second movie to this
1: scene as well basically Earl goes down to Mexico where there's more graboids and let's just say for now things are different so he says fuck it i need to call somebody so there's a scene where he calls bert and is begging him like bro i know you're retired i know you've gotten out of this game but come on you got to come down here i've got a situation and Bert's like in his lazy boy in the basement eating chips beer and watching tv and the camera is kind of slowly dollying back a little bit and you see first of all that he's like fixed the giant hole in the wall and it's obviously like a patch job with different paint over the entire huge area of the wall where the graboid crashed through but then later in the conversation the camera continues to pull back and then you see the graboid head mounted on the wall and there's like a deer head mounted on the wall above him (laughs) but the graboid head is like so fucking huge that it's taking up literally the entire rest of the fucking wall on that side of the basement and it's just such a good visual gag the way it plays out so the two remaining worms they kind of start testing the building foundations. Like they're going up and like bumping all the buildings to kind of see which ones have solid foundations, right? And they're like you said earlier, they're getting smarter and they're being more tactical now. They're they're not dumb creatures.
0: Well, right? and they're starting to slowly like basically bury the convenience store and Mindy and Nancy's house.
1: Little by little, yeah. They start by flipping over Nestor's trailer, which we haven't even mentioned him. I looked him up and like he was basically in like this and one other movie but there's like the other like random shithead guy in town but he's born victim (laughs) in this movie yeah (laughs) um they flip his trailer that he's on and he like scrambles through his front yard and like just gets on top of a tire and they're like no you fucking idiot you got to get up higher than that and of course it like (sniffs) rips him through the tire i love that moment too because you just hear him screaming under the ground being dragged on as he's being drugged away just like muffled and eventually like Cuts off, right? Suck through a
2: tire. It's just a, yeah. a hilarious gag. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: But the Graboids disable Bert and Heather's truck to like there's another Graboid circling their house. So. Yeah,
0: and they're trying to shoot it, but like nothing is piercing the ground, even like their heavy duty bullets. And I like how like they're like, Okay, we can use your truck to get out of town to get help. And then like <laughs> as they do that, like the Graboids eat the truck. The yeah. Graboid pops the tires on the truck and they're like, Well, fuck, they're learning. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, Earl and Val hatch a plan to use the cat tractor, the plow that they use to do, like, garbage cleanup, right? They decide to, like, use it to drag this semi-trailer flatbed, would be big enough to actually fit everybody on top of it, out of town. They figure, like, okay, there's no way, that thing's too big, too heavy, it's got treads, the worms, like, can't disable it, and we can just slowly make our way to the mountains, right? Right miguel goes and gets this riding lawnmower and like manages to turn it on and kind of set it loose through the town so that this riding lawnmower that makes enough noise would lure the other two graboids away so that val and earl can like sneak across town to go get the cat plow and of course there's like a great moment where you know they're gonna like rock paper scissors for who's gonna do it and val basically says fuck you and punches earl and he jumps and goes for it the most amazing macho bullshit
0: uh in this movie. Yeah. But it's like such positive macho yeah. bullshitism. They're obviously the one doesn't want anything to happen to the other and so they yeah. don't mind sacrificing himself. Yeah.
1: And the plan seems to be working well until the fucking ride-on mower like hits a rock and flips over. And so then the graboids immediately like hear Val running and roll through the ground toward him. So Ronda busts a water pipe on the water tower to like have the water fall to the ground and cause vibrations and distract
0: There's that cool moment where like they tell him to stop real fast because like they suspect that the Graboids are know he's in the area but don't know his exact location. And there's like that part where like he stands still and like the snake-like tongues come out of the ground and are like feeling around for him and one is going right by his leg and he like slowly Yeah, he's like raising Lifts up his leg as it's looking around for him. Yeah, that that scene's really cool.
2: That scene also lasts a little longer than you think it was going to. Like he stays on one leg for like a few seconds.
0: Yeah, and again, And this, yeah, this is a little bit of my little small gripe of lack of consistency of how dangerous these things are. Because again, like I feel like anyone else who falls to the ground and even if they stood still would be dead, but whatever. It's still cool. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, they're
1: doing everything they can to distract them so that Val can get the cat, which one thing I like too, as far as an effect goes, that Graboid POV effect that's underground where you see them like plowing through the dirt from their pov that's a really simple effect that's just used really well so all it is is a camera that is pointed upward with a piece of glass over it and then they just poured gallons of like dirt and rubble onto that glass and then they reversed it so it looks like you're just like plowing through the dirt. It's, it's such a simple, old-school effect, but it works really well in this. So, yeah, Val gets to the cat, he connects the semi-trailer, drives it, you know, up to the sides of the houses and loads everybody up. Everybody jumps off their roofs and onto this trailer. Bert and Heather have been making pipe bombs on their roof yeah. and packing their gear.
2: Simply, simply amazing. We simply have to stand for Reba McIntyre making pipe bombs. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so the cat arrives with all the other townspeople and Bert and Heather jump on.
0: Oh, and I love they're like, get the fuck on because they're like throwing more and more guns down.
1: Yeah, more gear, more stuff, yeah. They've just got duffel bags full of like supplies and crap from the house. Amazing. But finally they're all on board and they are now heading toward the mountains, so all seems well, everybody's kind of cheering and relieved, and everything's okay. But then, you know, once they're like well, well out of the town, the cat suddenly crashes into a giant fucking sinkhole trap that the Graboids made and everything kind of slams to a halt But, you know, they basically all decide, like, okay, wait, we can't stay here. They are trying to bury the tractor with us on it. So they all agree, like, okay, on three, like, let's chuck a pipe bomb to distract them and run toward the boulders just like we did earlier. So everybody does that. They all run to the nearby boulders for refuge, right?
0: Well, and I I like that moment, too, where where he's demanding to be given a gun, the piece of shit kid, Melvin. Yeah, Melvin. (laughs) And, like, so finally, like, he's like, I don't want to run. They're going to kill us. And finally, like, Bert's like, here, Melvin, if you run, I'll give this for your protection. He's like, hell yeah. And it's like a... the
2: giant magnum. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: And Melvin, at one point, as he's running, tries to fire, and there's no bullets. He's like, Bert, you piece of shit. Yeah, Just
1: click, 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 yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. So, like earlier, they are all stuck on the boulders. They're all trying to figure out what to do. Earl has the clever idea to, like, lure the graboids in and, like, fishing, throw one of the pipe bombs. Bombs and let them swallow the pipe bomb and explode and they manage to kill one this way they like draw it in you know with throwing rocks on the ground they throw one of the pipe bombs on the ground it swallows it and just boom blah guts everywhere and, it, oh, and
0: i like how everyone's like cheering the shower of yeah, guts everyone's like yeah we did it and then all the guts rain down on them and they're like oh shit oh disgusting yeah. incredible
1: visual gag <laughs> yeah and that is a staple of the entire series. Every single movie in the series has a moment where a Graboid explodes guts. Fantastic. And then there's just like a fucking rain shower of guts and blood all over
0: like people standing around. As bad as maybe the sequels are, I do love that they keep something like that in. And also that they yeah. never explain them.
2: I also love in that first sequel where they have the umbrellas. Yes. Because they know that <laughs> yeah. that's going to be an yeah. issue. Yeah. So as soon as the guts are going, like and just put their umbrellas up. It's very funny.
1: Yeah, Earl like writes up this giant, long, complicated list of all the supplies and equipment that he's going to need to go hunt the Graboids down in Mexico. And they were like, you had some unusual items on your list, Mr. Earl. And he was like, yep, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. And so obviously they have like big guns and they have grenades and shit, but his way of killing them in the first part of the second movie is they strap C4 onto remote control cars and they're like driving the remote control cars cars through the grass until one of the Graboids grabs it and they detonate the C4 and you know his little sidekick buddy and that one's like what are these stupid frilly umbrellas for and you just see Earl pop one after they blow it up and then all the guts fall and the guy just gets like splattered and guts he's like oh that's what the umbrellas are for thanks man yeah. right. it's pretty great gag. <laughs> perfect gag. So the last Graboid seems to like have gotten wise to their tactics right and this is the smart Graboid they try to do the pipe bomb trick again and this last grab boy just spits it out and it lands on top of all the other pipe bombs and they all blow (laughs) up. They still had a bunch, but
0: this one lands on all of them. Yeah. Like, everyone runs off the rock, basically, at this point. Yeah. And chaos ensues. Val,
1: Earl, and Rhonda just kind of run toward that giant cliff that we saw earlier in the movie, and kind of this last-ditch effort to draw this graboid away from all the other people, now that, you know, everybody's scattered from the rocks.
0: So, this is a bit that I don't know if y'all caught. I certainly didn't catch it when I was younger, but I did catch it this time. Val, with the last pipe on that he was carrying on him... he throws it on purpose behind the worm as they're waiting on the edge of the cliff and the worm like obviously you hear it making like a roar when that happens Um, and so yeah they're, they're on the edge of the cliff and Val stays there as Earl and Rhonda run to the sides and like at the very last second Val jumps out of the way the worm flies out of the side of the cliff and like falls to its death in a pretty great gnarly like death scene where it falls onto the rocks and like bursts open its guts go everywhere but I always as a kid was like well, why did the Grab Boy do that? Why didn't it just turn at the last second or like go after Earl or Rhonda? The bomb kind of spooks them? The, it. The, yeah, the bomb spooked it and probably disoriented it. And so that's why it flies out of like the canyon wall yeah
2: it's such a perfect full circle for the movie that starts with him pissing off that same cliff right yeah <laughs> the movie starts with kevin bacon pissing off that cliff and then he's like you know what i'm grown i'm better for it and now i know how to deal with these giant evil worms
1: <laughs> yeah this is also too where we get another great callback to like for all we know these things can fly and of course he's screaming at it you know do you fly sucker do you fly again like all oh. bad ADR hours <laughs> clearly like do you fly fucker yeah Yeah. so yeah we have the last grab boy it smashes through the wall of this cliff and plummets to its death where it gloriously hits the rocks at the bottom and explodes orange goop everywhere so it is one of the best giant final creature moment deaths of any of these kinds of movies 100% yeah so yeah the group returns to town they finally get the authorities
0: to start an investigation I think they've already like gotten one of the bodies of the graboids in the background someone has it like on a truck or am I imagining that
2: yeah, the Earl and Val have a graboid in their truck that they're going to go become yeah. famous with.
0: Yeah, and uh, Earl being a bro, like, because obviously, like, Rhonda is into Val and Val is into her, but they're being way too shy about it. Yeah. And Rhonda's about to leave town. Earl pushes him to be like, bro, what are you doing? Go kiss her, bro. Yeah. And yeah, so it ends with Val pursuing a romantic relationship with Rhonda and ends with them kissing. What, uh, Good movie. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> okay. So like, what a good movie. Um, the creature fantastic. The characters are so quirky and caricatures, but all work and are fantastic. Perfection as a setting is great. Honestly, like I know it. There was a video game in development during like the PS2 era, like 2000 2003, probably like during really? our prime time, Sean. Like when we were oh, playing yeah. a lot. Oh
2: yeah, bad PS2 games. Ah, yeah,
0: beautiful. <laughs> I would have fucking been all over that if it ever came out but it never came out. But I do feel like Tremors is such a good idea for a video game. Let's end on the franchise. Let's talk about like the other creatures that show up and like Aaron tell us each movie and what you thought and let's talk about like kind of this franchise going forward. I
2: I've also seen the 3 and I've seen like a bit of some of the other ones. Yeah,
0: but... I've I've only seen 1 2 and 3 and I've saw 2 and 3 way back when, so it's been years since I saw those and I like I said I saw like the first two or three episodes of the tv show way back when it first showed on sci-fi yeah
1: okay so trimmers 2 aftershocks
0: came out in 1996
2: six years later that's like kind of a long time
0: yeah 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 it doesn't go into theaters it goes straight to vhs dvd well from this one too there's five years between
1: it and number three yeah. so there's pretty good gap and then the fourth movie which was like a made for tv 2004 thing comes out and then there's not another one until 24 15. So then it takes an 11 year break. The Cold Day in Hell one where they're... Oh, no, 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 no. It, it bloodlines. We'll get Blood? to Oh, so, yeah. shit. Okay. So, yeah. Number two bends over backwards to explain the absence of Kevin Bacon, Reba McIntyre, and Finn Carter. Great Fred Ward appreciation for this movie. Like, he fucking kills it in this one just as good as he does in the first one, and he's now, like, the lead. He's fantastic. His sidekick, Grady, in this movie is the most most fucking like 1990s annoying like he looks like (laughs) the fucking roadie for real big fish amazing it's set in mexico this oil company is getting attacked by the graboids so they hire him the like graboid killer who's like all famous and now this is like a worldwide story so everybody knows who he is right he basically is still living in his shitty trailer at the beginning because He's been, like, big and on all the newspapers and magazines and talk shows, but he didn't make any money off anything. There was, like, a fucking video game, and he got none of the money. There was merchandise and toys. He didn't get any of the money, right? So, like, he's just kind of bitter about it, but this oil company is going to pay him a shit ton of money to go kill these Graboids, so... It's $50,000
2: per Graboid. Yeah,
1: and then, like, a hundred if you can catch one alive, right? So, he goes down there with this sidekick guy that kind of insinuates his way into the whole thing, and... Where they realize they're over their heads and they then call in Bert who comes down with all of his big army toys and survival gear and everything else to help. Where they realize they're definitely over their heads into something new is we learn that the Graboids, like you mentioned, have a life cycle. And like fucking caterpillars, they then turn into like a new form of thing. So The shriekers. The worms eventually give birth to these like three little chicken toads called shriekers. That's like what they name them in this movie because they have this weird little like flappy organ on the top of their heads that senses heat like the predator. Yeah. And so the worms hunt by seismic like vibrations. These little things hunt by heat. Once they detect something of course they all like rah, shriek at each other to like warn each other of where
0: you know something is. Right. And they multiply by ra- like rabbits whenever they eat food. So of course... Yes. the whole thing it gets out of hand like when they get into MREs and stuff very gremlins very gremlins <laughs> yeah. yeah they'll
1: eat food and then pretty much immediately like vomit up a giant gross placenta bag that busts open and it's just a smaller shrieker so they can multiply like rabbits like you said and eventually by the end of the movie there's like a shit ton of them and they have to like blow up the refinery to kill all of them and everything else then we go to the third movie the third <laughs> movie came out in 2001 and no one's back except for Bert. well well. Bert is the lead, but then, like we said, you have all the other townspeople are now back.
0: I, I meant out of like Val and of the Earl, core cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where it firmly
1: becomes the Bert show. Yeah, the Bert show. So this one picks back up in the town of perfection.
0: But we get Miguel back, we get Nancy and Mindy, and the same actor and actresses. Yeah. And, and they're all like back.
1: older. This is kind of the further evolution where we see the Shriekers, the little toady chicken things, they shed their skins like cicadas. And they become these winged glider flying things. Imagine how, like, a flying squirrel or like a winged lizard glides. They they don't really fly, they don't have like flappy wings. But what they do is they shoot giant fireball chemical fart mixture out of their butts to blast them into the air so that they can then, like, kind of glide around and then, like, pick off prey from the air. And they affectionately dub them ass blasters. It's amazing that as a kid I just accepted. I was like, yeah, of course.
2: Yeah. Giant ass worm blasters. is first. Then a bunch of little run around mini velociraptors. Then flying velociraptors that poop fart explosions.
0: Yeah. So is that is that the official life cycle? So then what happens? Do the ass blasters lay eggs and those turn into graboids first?
1: Exactly. And that's not made clear until literally like the fifth or sixth <laughs> movie that that's the life cycle. Is that then the ass blasters lay eggs that are the graboid eggs, and the whole thing starts over.
0: Yeah. Well, and I like in the third one, like Melvin comes back. He's trying to like turn the town into like basically Jurassic Park for graboids. Yeah. Yeah. He's a developer. And then also there's this one special graboid called El Blanco that's like an albino yeah. graboid. The white whale. The white whale. And like it turns out that, that they actually wind up kind of teaming up with El Blanco in a weird way of like. It
2: kills the final ass blaster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: like they keep it alive because it's under protection from animal services. The Government with. Wildlife yeah. Yo Institute, yeah.
2: Everyone who's thoughtful enough to think that a giant worm that's still out in the desert should probably be killed.
1: Yeah, really. Yeah. So the second movie still has pretty good good special effects it's still a lot of practical creature designs and actual puppets and mechanical shit there is some cgi where you see the little shriekers like hopping on top of each other's backs to like build a tower to like reach people hiding on the roofs like there's some cgi like that that's really sketchy early cgi three is where it is 95 percent cgi and that is the worst ps1 era yeah it's rough call the general insurance commercial cgi yeah so bad even as a kid i was like this is a little rough this is terrible <laughs> right yeah so number four comes out in 2004 it is a sci-fi channel original movie and it's a prequel <laughs> it is a prequel called tremors for the legend begins <laughs> it is set in the old west with the ancestors of the cast from the first movie. So we see, like, Chang's great-great-grandparents, right?
0: And Michael plays Bert's great-great- grandfather. So it's basically just Bert, but as a western, like, gunslinger guy. Well, he starts
1: off as foppish and timid. He's kind of like the rich guy who's investing in the mob. Okay,
0: yeah. I haven't seen it. I just assumed that that was the case. By the
1: end of the movie, he fully becomes a fucking gun nut. It's pretty formulaic like it's just all the people in the town banding together to kill him and there's of course like a silver mine and all this other bullshit but by the end of the movie the red-headed woman that he falls in love with of course like harkening back to the reba mcintyre character because of course his great-great-grandfather would fall in love with another plucky red-headed woman who's <laughs> capable of taking care of herself. She gifts him one of those like giant stationary battery cannons from like the Civil War era. One of the like automatic rotary cannons. And the movie literally ends with him just like turning the crank and this thing like pop 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 shooting and him just screaming and like smiling in delight. Cut to credits. Like that's literally the end
2: of the fucking movie. It's also, it's an amazing like kind of through line because Michael Gross obviously makes this movie which is the sudden return to the old west weird fourth movie of a trilogy but he is from the same in his tv series He's with Michael J Fox who played his son who then is in a movie series that goes back in time to the wild wild west right <laughs> it's this True. weird through line between like 90s 80s and 90s movies that are like all right time to go back west
1: yeah the only thing i did not watch was the tv show which i'll bring up now because the tv show actually came out absolutely after after tremors 3 but it came out before tremors 4 it was like a 2003 tv show it lasted one season 13 episodes
0: again i think it was sci-fi exclusive
1: yeah it was a sci-fi channel show i did not watch it um that was the only thing where i was like i don't have the 13 fucking hours to put toward that i
0: I only watched like the first couple as a kid and i kind of fell off after that
1: so so, Tremors 4, 2004, there is an 11-year gap that happens, <laughs> and this is where things kind of move into this like whole new phase. So, there is a new production company that has the rights, and there is this one... I think there's different writers. The original writers all get their story by credits, but these all have new writers. And there is one director who has done all three of these recent ones. His name is Don Michael Paul. This guy seems to be the, like, direct-to-video sequel king. I know. For shit that, like... (laughs) Really is, is just red box fodder to death, right? So he did like sequels to Jarhead. I didn't even <laughs> know that fucking Jarhead what? had sequels. There's a
0: kindergarten Cop 2 that comes out in 2016. He did
1: Kindergarten videos. Cop 2. He did sequels to Death Race. He did sequels to the Scorpion King. He did sequels to Sniper. Like this dude is the direct to
0: video sequel king. There is a third Jarhead movie, and that he did not only yeah. the second one, he did the third one, and the third one. One came out last year, apparently. Yeah. That's a
1: biographical, like, what?
0: Not the sequels? (laughs) Yeah,
1: and it's it's a very anti-war war war movie at that, too. And I can't imagine that either of these sequels are anywhere near that. So anyway, this is the guy who's doing these new ones. And these are kind of coming out pretty bang, bang, bang quick. But this is what I'll say mostly about them. The creature effects are all digital at this point, but they don't look (laughs) bad. Really? The creature effects actually look pretty solid, but it's just because CGI has gotten so good. You can do this level of CGI pretty cheaply and effectively at this point and have it look solid. What happens, though, is that the rest of this production for each of these movies looks so fucking cheap in comparison. You have these really fairly impressive digital effects, but then just the rest rest of the production looks super fucking cheap fake guns the most spray painted fake plastic ass guns really tv-esque camera work
0: in all of them and lots of just no nobody actors well and i read that these two were trying to prop up jamie kennedy as the next person in the series yeah that's kind
1: of where i was going with this is like they're they're definitely trying to do something new and i don't think it worked based on like where the next movie is going Yeah. So Bert and his new sidekick, played by Jamie Kennedy,
0: can we just say the
1: spoiler? It's one you can see coming. Like, well, d- okay, what do you think the spoiler is based on the fact that the subtitle of this one is Bloodlines? It's his son, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even need to
0: read it or watch it. It's his son. Yeah, that
1: it's like his son from a completely unrelated relationship years earlier, right? Which is
2: wild because doesn't like Jamie Kennedy have like red hair? Wouldn't it be a per- perfect connection to Reba.
1: (laughs) He he doesn't have red hair, but he definitely has way quaffed up giant crazy hair and a douchey goatee and sunglasses and he like rides a dirt bike. They go to fucking South Africa. As you do.
0: and In Bloodlines?
1: Yeah, in Bloodlines. They go to South Africa (laughs) to hunt this one giant rogue ass blaster that's kind of this lone wolf been killing people kind of ass blaster. And at first they're like, oh no, well they're only found in the northern hemisphere and then they get down there and like oh no well they're actually down here too and the African tribes down here have like a whole legend around them right but they discover like the evolution cycle is slightly different than the North American varieties of course it is but this is w- the one thing I'll say too about these new movies and I don't know if it's a rights issue and I think it might be I think this company got the rights to the franchise and to like the Bert character but I don't think that they got the rights to the actual creature designs because every variation of the creatures has been completely redesigned and they're just not as interesting looking. The Graboids now literally are just these giant thorny worms that have not not like a beak not like a definite beak with mandibles and everything else it's just a perfectly round worm with like teeth all around it
0: they're going around the world now in these sequels just saying like oh these are variation mutations based off of like where they're from
1: basically that's kind of the excuse and like i said i think it literally just has to do with they didn't get rights to the creature designs
0: so A cold day in hell is Graboids and Ice, right?
1: Yes. Gummer and his son go to the Canadian Arctic (laughs) to, like, investigate the Graboids up there. And they team up with Val and Rhonda's daughter, who is now, like college research team you know working on her PhD in the Canadian Arctic and she's obsessed with Graboids because of her parents right that makes
0: sense dude Thundergun Express and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia follows like the same and it's making fun of action movies that have too many sequels but it follows Tremors cause like Thundergun Express the fifth one is also like an Arctic ice based one in the recent oh season God. of Always Sunny that they make fun of yeah this is ridiculous
1: yeah Bert has Graboid Venom induced PTSD flashback things that's like slowly killing him. DARPA is there doing like shady research on the Graboids, trying to weaponize them. It seems to take a kind of like a Resident Evil
2: turn too where people are gonna like, we're gonna (laughs) use the Graboids.
0: I'm honestly surprised it doesn't happen sooner in the franchise. (laughs) Yeah, and the whole
1: catch is like they have to capture one alive because they have to like harvest some kind of like goop from a gland inside of one to like create an anti-serum to cure him so he doesn't die now here's what's nuts is the first one set in south africa where do you think it was filmed it's filmed in south africa crazy enough uh, like cool. south africa has a like pretty big film industry and a lot of productions shoot there because it's fairly cheap so okay cool set in south africa shot in south africa now cold day in hell is set in the canadian arctic where do you think they shot it South Africa y- yes bingo they also just shot it in South Africa <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> right That's the fucking movie amazing. fucking opens with this research team in like this snowy tundra and you know they're like planting all this equipment they get attacked by the graboids it is completely obvious that they are just shooting in the literal sand desert of South Africa on these like white sand dunes and they're just shooting with a fucking blue Instagram filter on and like fake digital stuff <laughs> it's so clearly sand dunes and it doesn't move like snow it moves like sand and later in the movie where they're supposed to be in kind of this mountainy tundra area they're like oh yeah well because of climate change there's just not as much snow up here as there normally is Mm Hmm. sure okay so that explains why there's no snow in the Canadian Arctic because y'all are filming in South Africa but the whole movie is shot with these cool temp blue Instagram filters on the entire time to make you feel like you're in the Arctic now now, the crazy thing, too, that I'll say is these movies change up some of the graboid shit. Now, the graboid tongues in the worms detach and can act completely independently of the big main worm. So it can, like, shoot them out and then they can, like, slither around on their own to attack people. The graboids also fucking propel themselves out of the ground like great white sharks. Amazing. Like, you know how on shark week you just see the, like, great whites yeah. like, rawr, like, flying through the air, right? That's what these graboids do in this movie. Are variation there's multiple times well no th- both of these new movies from five on it's it's just like a completely different thing but there are times where like okay I'm on top of this building I'm totally safe Graboid
0: flies through the fucking air jumps out of the ground like grabs somebody you know just that kind of craziness with that being said right around 2018 was when like they were in talks of trying to bring back Kevin Bacon yes. and stuff that fell apart
1: so there was a TV reboot that was going to be produced by Universal and Blumhouse House for Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, fun! And it's still listed on IMDb. Like, if you go to you know IMDb, you can search Tremors and find it, or just look at Kevin Bacon's IMDb because they shot a pilot movie and fucking Vincenzo Natali, the guy that directed Cube and Splice, like he fucking directed it. Oh wow! And it was actually filmed. So
2: this exists somewhere.
1: Well, they filmed it, but they never finished it. Okay. They didn't like do post on it, and it never actually aired, and the series wasn't picked up. But they filmed a pilot movie with fucking kevin bacon and apparently fred ward as well too and it just like never
0: happened was this planning to be kind of like what halloween did where like it only picks up after the second one and ignores all the sequels
1: i have no idea i would assume here's my guess and this is me like not knowing anything officially obviously my guess is this new production company started making these new movies five and six in like 2015 and then they put out another one 2018 i have a feeling that. what happened is they started talking about doing a reboot kind of thing around 2015 or so. Oops! Turns out there is like this other company that apparently owns the rights now somehow or another and we just shot and made this entire fucking thing and now this new production company is trying to half-ass sue or litigate or something to keep us from releasing it but they were successful because they do technically own the series now and that's why it's got shelved and ever came out they wouldn't dump all that money into a pilot that has kevin bacon and had all this hype and everything around it just to not release it i really do think that the new production company that's putting out all these direct-to-video sequels probably threatened litigation because otherwise why would they still be making those right yeah it doesn't yeah. seem like both would be going on seemingly unrelated so i have a feeling that that's might of what
0: happened was that there was like a rights kerfluffle i remember seeing the teaser for like the reboot Yeah. And I was like, fuck yes. Oh yeah. You can see it on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But with that falling through, we're now onto about a month from now, we are going to have yet another tremors. Yeah. This time Jamie Kennedy is gone from the series. So that only lasted two movies. Yeah.
1: Fucking Richard Brake from like the recent Rob Zombie movies and Mandy and all this other shit. He's going to be like the villain in this one. It's called Shrieker's Island and it's set in like Thailand. And
0: it's supposed to be a playoff of the most dangerous game because it's like a millionaire who like hunts for sport and gets all these people on the island to hunt shriekers and graboids I guess and the sidekick I think is going to be played by Napoleon Dynamite himself John Heder. (laughs) Yep
1: John Heater is playing the sidekick in this movie.
2: Absolutely incredible casting. It's like if you're gonna go from Jamie Kennedy who else could you bring in but John Heater
0: Yep yep so shrieker island. And it's coming out like a month after this
1: episode is going to Drop. Yep. So, and chances are, it's probably going to be right on like Redbox and oh, probably yeah. even Netflix. Oh, the yeah. last movie had a day and date release on like physical Blu-ray, Redbox, and Netflix all at the same time. So, I would bet that a month after everybody's listening to this episode, they'll be able to watch the new one if they so fucking choose to be that
0: masochistic. <laughs> are you gonna watch it, Aaron? Since you watched all the others? I mean, at this point,
1: yes. No shit. I'm. I'm gonna go ahead and say fuck it and watch it. This is
0: your Saw franchise now. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're committed. Yeah. Look, yeah. I
1: enjoyed these movies a hell of a lot more than I enjoyed the fucking Saw movies. I'll be honest.
0: I will say I am kind of out of curiosity and just because, like, I want more Tremors in my life, I think I will, like, eventually go and through all the rest of the movies and just expect nothing.
1: I think it's worthwhile. Like, they're definitely not nearly as bad as the Hellraiser movies. No. They're not nearly as bad as the Saw movies. They're, I think, maybe more entertaining than, Like some of the middle child's play movies. You know, Friday the 13th gets really kind of. Same-y, but then every movie kind of has its own really weird, unique twist to it. So that series is fairly consistent. Nightmare on Elm Street's fairly consistent. I do think this is one of the better long-running
0: horror movie franchises. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah direct-to-video sequels kind of franchise. They're
1: not nearly as bad.
2: It's impressive that they've been able to come up with new ways to pull off those. I got to a point where after the first three, I was like, are they just going to keep making a totally different monster each time? Nope just yeah. different
0: genres and different locations. They've now settled in and <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it. As are there any final thoughts on Tremors or the franchise boys?
1: I mean, I think we've said all we need to say, and I think we all are in agreement that this movie fucking holds up like gangbusters. Tremors it Rick. is a tightly written, well-executed, fun, and thrilling movie that like has great special effects, a fun cast. It's
0: fucking solid. It's really, really solid. I do think it meets the criteria as a horror movie as well. Absolutely. That's, that's my final thought too.
2: I think it will
0: be a movie that
2: I go back to more frequently than I have in the past. I think that it's a movie that stands up there with a perfect triple feature with jaws jurassic park and tremors just a beautiful perfect three movies yeah creature feature
0: movies yeah well and and also too it's kind of like that thing with the mummy brendan Fraser's the mummy like this is a movie you can just jump in and out of at any point and be entertained kind of mindless but it does things so fun and well that it like i said i watched this movie with a big smile on my face the whole time and yeah that's kind of the type of movie you're going in but thank y'all for bearing with us this was a little bit of a longer one because a we had a new guest on sean on Mars who we've wanted on for a while and Tremors kicks all kinds of dicks and the franchise is so fucking bonkers that we had to really go through the history of it. <laughs> so, uh, thank y'all for bearing with us. And with that, we are Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by a coward and a movie Monster Boy. You can find us at all the different podcatchers Apple, Podbean, Castbox, Spotify, etc. Basically anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, you can find us at our socials on Twitter and Facebook at Watch If You Dare. And once again, shout out to your little brother Jesse Aaron for his uh bumps at the beginning and end of each of our episodes
1: yep yep check out his new album circution that he has recently released it is very solid and you can grab it for whatever you feel like throwing his way so he's got it like set to name your price so definitely give it a try i think you would enjoy it a lot especially if you're into like shoegazy 90s grungy kind of stuff so
0: really solid. Is it under Party Gator or something else? Yeah, yeah, it's under Party Gator. All right, so check that out. Sean, is there anything you wanted to plug or...
2: No, uh, just uh, register to vote. Make sure everybody's registered to vote. Yes, yep. yes, yes.
0: <laughs>
1: we are getting to that point. And lastly, like we did last year, this is going to be our episode leading into the season of Spook. And just like last year, we have another fun theme for this coming halloween month what was our theme last year just movies that were on halloween that were also batshit yeah <laughs> not batshit but just like movies that were set specifically on halloween day
0: yeah we did three yeah batshit they were all batshit, movies, batshit yeah. but yes we have a more focused theme i think this year yeah
1: Um, Once again, the month has three perfect release slots available, so we are going to try to get three episodes out. You know, hopefully I'm not shooting myself in the foot by saying that, but either way, I think we've got a solid plan for y'all and we are excited.
0: We'll at least have two for y'all. We'll at least have a solid two, but yeah, count on three, but if it's two, don't be surprised and don't one-star us, please. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Cool, cool. Well, with that, Aaron, Sean, just always know this, our listeners, Sally is not a plan. Sally is who you see when the plan fails. <laughs> nice.